Hello, hello, all. Welcome back to Tour Life, your podcast that goes over all sorts of disc golf stuff, man. And we've got a lot for you tonight, a jam-packed show. I've got Yuli with me, as always. We've got Silas behind the keys. And uh, yeah, tonight's show is massive. So we're going to have to break down the whole Natalie Ryan situation, how that all played out. We're going to go through the new course uh, updates that happened from last year's OTB to this year, how we liked the course, how it played this year. Um, I did get a chance to talk to Leonard, who is like the course designer. And I told him, listen, love, love the thing you're doing out there, but I've got some ideas. So obviously I'm going to be throwing those out. Obviously I can't wait to hear what Yuli has to say about my crazy course design ideas. Then we're going to go into a full FPO recap. Paige Pierce, is she back? Is she, we'll, we'll, we'll break that all down. MPO recap, it was nuts. It was one of the crazier, you know, lead cards that we've probably have seen in I don't know how long. What happened there? How did that happen? And then we have some awesome guests tonight. Nate Sexton, for the first time, will be joining Tour Life tonight. We're bringing back Paige Pierce as well. And we'll have first-time uh, Tour Life guests as well, Emerson Keith. And I've got lots of questions to ask these people. So you're going to want to stick around for all those. There you have it. All right. Yuli, how are we doing, brother? Pretty good, man. I'm in Oregon with you, of course. I uh, played the course a couple times already, and it is beautiful. OTB was awesome. Haven't been there in the last couple. Well, I missed it last season. So I got to come back this year, and the changes. I really like, can't wait to hear your course design stuff. Oh, and I'm know, looking forward to talking to our, to our guests, man. It's been a, yeah. it's been a crazy week of disc golf. Lots of stuff to talk about. Like you said, I'm looking forward to the podcast. Yeah. And we probably could space some of this stuff out, but like I said, there could be crazy stuff that goes on this week. So it's like, we're going to just try to get through as much as we possibly can every week uh, and just bring the stories to you guys and let you guys know what we think. So without further ado, let's jump right into the first story, which was probably the biggest one as far as just people getting involved, having their opinions heard. And that was the Natalie Ryan situation. So Long, long time ago, I heard rumors that there might be a switch in OTB Open, right? They're, they might not even actually have the OTB, OTB Open in California because Natalie Ryan had a case, essentially, to be able to play in California due to California law. Now, that ended up just being a rumor. It didn't happen. The event went on. But I remember... When I stepped up to the tee, the first tee, and I talked to the tournament director, my first question was, is this tournament happening? It, it, are we like, is there a situation where right. they're going to can't? And they're like, listen, two things are going to happen, right? Natalie Ryan's either going to play in the tournament or Natalie Ryan's not going to play in the tournament. The tournament's happening no matter what. So just to give a quick, and we're not going to get too much into uh, the, the lawyer talk and like all that kind of stuff. There's other videos out there that go more in depth with that. Sure. I just kind of want to give it like my opinion on like what went down. So first off, Natalie, not in the tournament makes a case, essentially files a case to say, because of California law, I need to play in the tournament. And we kind of covered this a little bit last week. Turns out the case that she presented was a good case. 
And the judge approved it, giving a temporary restraining order, essentially, to allow Natalie to play in the FPO division at the OTB Open. The Disc Golf Pro Tour and the PGA immediately file for appeal. And then, um, essentially, what ends up happening is Natalie Ryan gets granted to play in the tournament, plays in the tournament on Friday. The appeal goes through. And now the Disc Golf Pro Tour essentially kicks Natalie Ryan back out of the tournament. So Natalie was not in the tournament, in the tournament for one round, back not out of the tournament, back out of the tournament, which is just a crazy kind of turn of events. And uh, the Disc Golf Pro Tour put out a statement on the situation. And this is what the Disc Golf Pro Tour said. I'll pull it up real quick. Uh, my camera sometimes gets in my way. Here we go. So this was posted on May 12th. Yesterday, a temporary restraining order was issued by a U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of California on behalf of Natalie Ryan. The order filed against the PDGA and the Disc Golf Pro Tour allowed Miss Ryan to compete in round one of the 2023 OTB Open in Stockton, California. Both the PDGA and the Disc Golf Pro Tour immediately appealed this ruling in the U.S. Court of Appeals. The Disc Golf Pro Tour has now received notice that the appeal was successful in the ninth circuit and that the district court's May 11th, 2023 order has been stayed. This order restores the disc golf pro tours ability and to enforce its current policy on gender eligibility. The disc golf pro tour will follow the court's ruling and enforce its gender eligibility policy, which will disallow miss Ryan from continuing competition in the OTB open. The Disc Golf Pro Tour remains committed to creating a safe and harassment-free environment both on-site and online for all competitors. To review our co- community guidelines, please, yada, yada, yada. So that was essentially their statement. And what that statement to me makes it kind of clear that the, disco, the, the Pro Tour has had a firm stance on what they want the gender eligibility to be. And if someone fights against that, they are willing to you know, put their cards down on the line and say, we are, we are not budging essentially is what we kind of got from that. Right. No, absolutely. I think you're right on, um, tough to follow along with, with, uh, the back and forth, not a lawyer. So don't really understand all of it. Uh, but I mean, the statement is, is really what we can go off of. And, and that's exactly what it sounds like. It's sounding like, like, no, this is what we feel like is a safe play environment for the FPO field. And that's what we're going to stand by. So now what was really interesting were some of the comments that Nat or post, I say, would say that Nally has posted. If I'm Nally Ryan, I'm immediately hiring a PR person. 100%. Because Natalie's in, yeah. a, uh, Natalie's in a lawsuit currently, even though this appeal and stuff, there is a bigger lawsuit that I believe is still happening. And yeah. the worst thing you can do is post stuff on social media that then can be used against you. Right. And my knowledge from what I've heard in other cases is essentially lawyers for the most part say like, do not talk about the case. Do not post on social media about the case. Do not do anything like just, don't do anything, right? Because nothing really good can come from it. So Natalie's first post after, this was on Instagram, after Natalie got the news that she, essentially Natalie was not playing in the uh, yeah. OTB Open anymore, said this, the Disc Golf Pro Tour is removing me from the OTB Open. 
No matter where they go, I will fight them every step of the way. If you thought I was fighting hard before, just wait. They're going to burn with me. I I mean, this. I don't know what's going on here. The terrible choice of words, potentially, but... I'm I'm a little confused by the situation here because again, if you want to, if you feel like you should be able to play in the division, that's fine. I completely understand. But now if you're basically do it, it felt like if, if I can't play, no one can play, right? Like I'm taking my no. ball and I'm going home and no one can play. No, absolutely. I, I think like, like you're saying, saying the choice of words was, was just really bad. I, it, I feel like, a stance should have been taking of like, Hey, no, I'm not going to give up and thank you for all my supporters and different things like that. That was very aggressive statement that can be taken so many different ways. Uh, very poor choice of words. Um, in the moment though, uh, if you can think of where she's coming from, it's probably from a pretty, pretty dark place because she played the first round played well. And then the next day she's not in the tournament. There's a lot of given and goes here that you really have to unpack, especially in my opinion, the fact that she's able to play like a tiers and stuff like that, but just not, not the DGPT. So I feel like in my opinion, there's been a lot of like mishandling of this whole situation as far as where it's at right now. And it's creating a very confusing place for all of us, especially her. Um, PR. Yeah. She needs a PR person for sure, but I totally understand um, where that message is coming from. So I made a tweet and I kind of want to get your take on this because I think this tweet, if you know me as a person right outside of social media, and even if you follow me on social media and listen to me on this podcast right now, you, I feel like have a very good idea of what I'm tweeting about. I had no idea people could even take this tweet and use it or think about it a different way. And I kind of want to talk a little bit on that, but the tweet essentially said, this was me watching the FPO coverage on round one. And I basically said, I'm fortunate to see comments turned off for the OTB open live stream. Now, why did I say that? Well, why, or why is it unfortunate? Well, it's unfortunate one, because it's pretty obvious that they were turned off because there was so much negative, hateful comments. I'm assuming that they're like, we can't have comments. And then the second reason why it's unfortunate is as a viewer, as a fan, having that interaction with other people watching is fun. We have right now a live YouTube going right now where there's people in the chat talking to each other about what we're saying. It is an enjoyable experience that got taken away. That's unfortunate. The third thing, an additional thing, if you will, is not having comments on probably also hurts the engagement a little bit, right? I think the YouTube might give you a little knockdown of not being able to allow people to comment and share and all this stuff. That's why I was unfortunate. What is very... Oh, go ahead. So No, I was going to say, so I get where this is going. So people took that and flipped it to saying... um, that you're saying that there should be a place to have all this hate and different things going on. Right. People, I'm guessing. Took, I think, yeah, there was people that took it as it was unfortunate in the fact of they aren't allowing people to say extremely me- mean things right. in the YouTube comments. And this is, this is what I kind of gathered after. Cause I posted, I don't even know. I can't remember when I posted that. 
I posted that maybe when they were on like hole two or three. And I, I wasn't able, I had a pretty early tea time, I believe. So I wasn't able to watch that much coverage. So I kind of posted that and then forgot about it and then went on with my day. And afterwards I kind of was going through the mentions and it was so interesting because I think what I learned essentially is if you are in that negative mindset, right. Of where you want to think the worst about people, when someone says something, you are going to try to have it fit your narrative for that person versus if you're in that positive mindset and you're like looking for the good and everything, you're going to look at stuff and take it in a positive way. And it was just very interesting to see how obviously looking at it back, I could see like, Oh yeah, I guess this is open-ended for interpretation, but that like, I mean, if you know me, I'm not trying to, by no means am I saying, yes, we should be having YouTube comments where people are just spitting hateful stuff. I mean, that's why you have, you know, that's why we have moderators and stuff to make sure that the comment section is good. And it's like a safe place for like kids to be too. Right. Like that's the other thing is how many kids are watching that. So I thought that was very interesting and kind of plays a little bit into the situation we we are, we're in with this scenario, but also the situation that we're in with a lot of things in life where people will look and see stuff and they'll try to fit it to their own narrative when in fact it might not even be like that. That's just not what it is. So I just thought that was kind of a little bit of an interesting thing, but um, Natalie followed up. She ended up t- deleting that Instagram post and then followed it up with this one that said the disc golf pro tour and the PDJ are afraid of metaphor. So I've taken down my previous posts. Instead, I'm going to make that post message incredibly clear. My removal, my removal from OTB was targeted just as the new policy was the disc golf pro tour is now enforcing rules. That is no place that it has no place to. They have only done this to hurt me. I will continue to litigate until justice is achieved. I will use this pain to make sure nobody else has to experience it. Now, obviously a little bit better of a post, I guess you could say in the sense of where it's like, you're not really saying, you know, if I can't play, then I'm just going to burn everything down to the ground. (laughs) Right. But again, I think there is a little bit of a, it's one of those where I, I don't know if Natalie is seeing the other side of the coin, right? Natalie is seeing what she wants to see, but I don't know if necessarily the disc golf pro tour is targeting Natalie specifically. I think the disc golf pro tour is just trying to protect the FPO division. I think that is what their goal is. I don't think their goal is essentially, we don't want this person to play on the FPO division. I think it's just, the F at the FBO it's the same thing as like the age. It's the same thing as like the, um, the age divisions that you have in disc golf, right? If someone feels like someone is, uh, too young to be playing in an age division, I'm sure the PDGA or whoever runs that would ask for like a birth certificate or some sort of proof that they're allowed to play in that age division, right? Like if, same kind of situation or am I off on that? No, I, no, I, I hear what you're saying. I think they're just trying to create a safe place for, uh, have rules in place that are fair for whatever division it is. Yeah. That's what it is. I mean, in sports, we have that all the time. We have drug testing so that mm-hmm. they can 
create a fair play environment. That's it. I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, like you said, this is a, this is a very big case and I would hope moving forward that she would, like you said, hire a PR person to be able to make her thoughts a little more clear and a little more professional. Um, yeah. to, We've now there is a there lawsuit. Too. There is a lawsuit. There. The lawsuit is, I believe, just between her and the pro tour. I think the PDJ also. I think I think and both. the PDJ. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I think so. I, think, I can see where where she's where that those comments come from. Uh, I also think that the fight is for all transgenders as well. Mm-hmm. So for for her to just say between me, I feel like that's a bad move. Like. No, this fight should be for all transgenders, right? If I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, that would be more of like a PR move. Um, but it's just a messy situation. It, it really is, and it's it's going to get resolved. And it's in the it's in the courts, and they're the best people to do it. So, I mean, it's, it's just also, time. Time will tell. It's also a situation too. We we touched on this a little bit last week. It's also a situation where if someone disagrees on disagrees with you and this is where I'm really interested because Paige has kind of been um, on the other side of what I think. Right. And so I'm curious to have a conversation with her because it just seems right now it's very hard to have a conversation with someone that disagrees with you on this point. It gets to be really nasty quick from both sides. And we talked about this last week. I just don't think that's the right way of going about any sort of discussion or growth or trying to push stuff forward. So um, we'll see. We'll keep you guys all involved with all of it and uh, we'll see how it all plays out. But as, as of right now, they, the disc golf pro tour is sticking with their policy that they've created and they're going to be moving forward with it. So that is that. Um, all right, let's talk OTB open the course. I thought it was pretty solid. I thought it was, especially towards the end, those that last stretch, 15, Interesting 16, statement there. What happened? Oh, no, I just, especially towards the end, yeah. No, I agree. I, I felt like hole one was maybe not the best starting hole it was, we could have had. <laughs> I, hey, I was not saying it was a good starting hole by any means. Um but hole 15, 16, and 17, 18, really freaking good holes. And yes. especially the way that the tournament was kind of playing out, even though, you know, Aaron was kind of struggling towards down the, down the stretch. My goodness, it was never over, even on 18. And I'm going to talk to Emerson on his play on 18 because I couldn't believe what he did on 18. But I, I think with the new OB that they added... They had a couple new holes, not bad. They took out, um, I believe they took out two holes or they took out one hole, I believe. And then uh, changed a couple baskets here and there, added some mandos. I think overall, I was pretty happy with all the, the changes. One of the interesting things that I did hear is people, do, there are people out there that don't really like watching far shots and don't like watching rollers. And when you get to a pro tour event that is on a golf course, 
you're going to see a lot of rollers and you're going to see a lot of far shots. Are we okay with like some people just not liking? I, I feel like you're not going to always have people love every single course, right? I mean, we, we shouldn't be trying to make everyone love every course. It's impossible. Yeah. Uh, rollers aren't that cool to watch on. It's hard to, the way that it's filmed now, it's hard to get a reference of what the roller is actually doing and where it's going mm. because of, because the angles are so, are so different. Uh, and a roller is like a highly technical shot that probably a lot of the viewers don't have a grasp of like how it's done. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. wouldn't you say that's like probably one of the last things you learn when you're playing disc golf is a I, yeah. roller. I don't even know if like really certain level, like I feel like it's a skill level that, or it's a, it's a skill that you need only at a certain skill level right? Like once you surpass certain things, then it's like, now you can learn the roller, but if you don't have like a good, just basic hyzer backhand, it's like, what, what are you doing? Trying to learn a roller? You need to work on some other stuff. Yeah. I agree with you on that. And then, yeah, watching something roll on the ground, it'd be like if (laughs) in traditional golf, they always just sometimes duffed it and just like, and it just like rolled like forward. And they're just like, Oh, there it goes. You know, it's like, it's, probably not the funnest thing to watch. I could totally see that. We love watching the disc fly. Yep. That's what's like so captivating about disc golf is watching the flight of a disc. Um, and how we're able to film that is pretty cool. I love your take about, about the catch cam and, and why they flip it so fast, uh, catching that flight from the backside. I I totally agree with you. As long as possible would be really cool. Now, what, what about a roller as well? Seeing what that's doing from far away now the people get a reference of the fairway. And mm-hmm. so what I was going to say, cause I had a feeling you were going to ask this question is especially with rollers to see what exactly is going on from behind. Cause then you get a visual of what the player is actually doing. I feel like is, uh, is way more important than even an air shot. Yeah, no, no doubt. And especially when, uh, or when you switch from one camera to the other camera during a roller, you really have no idea what it could be going sideways. And you're like, Oh, is that good? And then you have to wait for the announcer. What about that? What about like, uh, the announcer being able to be like, okay, it's on cut, cutting, cutting, it's flipping too fast. Okay. That's not bad. And like kind of Taking See, them through the shot might be important as well because the I, camera I work isn't. It as I, great. Have a, I have a take on that. We'll get the, we'll get to some commentary there in a second because I do have a take on that because it was one of the things that was mentioned a lot with this past commentary. So I'm curious to okay. see what you think about it. But let's talk foxholes. Love the guys. Okay, having foxes out in the course, awesome, very cool thing. The holes are absolutely trash. Is this something that needs to be addressed on that course specifically with relief? We did not get relief from foxholes. So I, at one point in time, my disc landed half in front of a foxhole and half over a foxhole, essentially making it to where if I would mark my disc in front, I, my heel and the backside of my foot would be in the fox, like basically stepping in a hole. And then if I didn't mark it all, my foot would be in a hole. Is that like 
is that something that we need to address in this scenario? Because I think right now with casual relief, it's just kind of, eh, we're not going to really do too much about it. Luckily, it didn't really have effect on the leaders down the stretch. But that's just a weird thing to have to kind of explain of like, ooh, Emerson's disc looks like it's in a foxhole. It'd be real interesting to see how he plays out of this. You know what I'm saying? No, I agree. I, kind of where the sport's at, there's a lot of these things that uh, get kind of lost in in the process of, of putting us out on the course. Yeah, you don't want to be in a foxhole. You don't want to be in a hole. You don't want to be on top of a log. You don't want to be under a log. And... You don't want them in the fairway. They're they're all over the place. Yeah, it wasn't they're like the foxholes are just in the rough, which I actually probably would like because then it's like forces you to do a standstill. But you can yeah, throw, throw a perfect drive and then be in a foxhole. Right, big no no in my opinion. But it's the same thing with with the worst rule in disc golf, which is you can't clear out the stuff behind your behind your lie. Yeah. Like that just shouldn't be an issue. It sh- shouldn't. <laughs> our run up should not be impeded until there's a rule that tells you, okay, you can stand still. You have to stand still there. There should be clear path to your disc to make your run up so you can make a shot so that we can entertain at our highest ability, but landing in a foxhole, snapping your knee because you want to, you, you know, you're in the, you're in the thick of the tournament and you have to throw up 450 feet and you have to sacrifice the body. We don't want to see that. Yeah. We don't want to see it. We need to protect the field. And uh, I mean, that's where I stand. in as far as those things, again, it's clean of, that up. yeah, I was, I'll just end it with, it's going to be hard for an announcer to explain how someone is in the middle of a fairway and they're not able to run up and throw a shot when everyone else around them is running up and throwing a shot and they have to go stand still because there's a foxhole in their run up. That's just going to be a weird thing of, but that's what we have to deal with right now. So it'll be interesting to see how they play with uh, the foxholes for next year. Cause they obviously owe to be open. They have shown that they are willing to change and move forward. There we go. All right. My course notes, you ready for them? Cause I told Leonard, the course designer, I said, listen, I wrote down my course notes on what I think needs to happen or what I would love to see happen. All of these course notes make the course play harder not easier. Also, all these course notes do not affect great shots. They only affect bad shots. So we'll have Silas pull up hole by hole as I roll through and we'll see exactly what go. Oh, first I have to say this is with the intention that they are not able to add bunkers. They're not able to add lakes or rivers or water. They're not able to change the height of the grass. If they're not able to do any of that, this is what I would love to see. Cause this course all of a sudden would become an absolute nightmare for players that are just chucking this all over. Here we go. Hole one. Give me hazard down the left-hand side. Okay. So essentially like 60 feet left of the basket where the blue basket, 60 feet left of the basket all the way to the T that's all hazard left. You chuck something way over there. You're getting a, you're essentially probably getting a bogey. Okay. Give me hazard down the right hand side. This one, maybe be a little bit more friendly, maybe a hundred feet, right of the basket, 80 feet, right of the basket, all the way to the T pad. And then give me hazard short. So short of the basket, probably about 
let's say what is how far is it 496 so let's say if you don't throw your shot 425 you're in the hazard so now all of a sudden you have this like u shape or or sorry yeah you have like a u shape essentially of hazard and it's going to force people to actually throw great shots so that way you don't have people just chucking shots wherever and cuz that hole was was difficult to get a birdie not hard at all to get a par right and that's my whole idea is how do you make it to where the difficulty to birdie that hole doesn't change, but now the difficulty to par that hole does change. Um, do you just want to say like, don't like, don't care? Do you want to do that so we don't take too much time on this? But you like. your, okay. Hole two, love it. No changes. Let's move to hole three. Hole three. Wait, 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 wait. Like oh, what? What? You like what? Like hole two. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. You like hole two. Hole three. Okay. Give me hazard down the left-hand side. Wait, we'll see if size pops up. There we go. Give me hazard down the left-hand side. Give me hazard down the right-hand side and give me hazard short. Essentially the same kind of situation as hole one. Again, forcing people to have to throw. This is the FPO basket, by the way, but you get the gist. Um, there it is. Okay. I, I, I would mean, change I, one thing. I, go ahead. I would change the short, depending on how short you have to throw it, because there are like limbs and stuff. When it gets windy, it's tough to control the height. So some people will throw same shot, get a lift, hit the branches, shoot down into the out of bounds, and some people might not do that. I don't. I don't like bringing that. So, but yeah, I do that, like right and left. Left and right is a bad shot. Short sometimes out of your control. Again, this one, ideally, if I could do grass length on this one, I would do tall grass leading up to the basket because I saw people throwing short, like low, like they, they basically, they released early and they would get a massive skip, like 150 foot skip all the way to the basket. And then, yes. So, um, all right. Hole four. Would you believe me? Yuli, would you believe me on hole four? Oh, we got, I think Emerson bopped in here a little early, but maybe we have Silas come back. Silas, can you put four on there real quick? And then I'm just going to run through these real quick because we have a couple more things. Okay, hole four. Would you believe me, Yuli, uh, if I told you I threw nine rollers on hole four over the week, over the week? I believe you because I, I think I threw more than nine rollers. Okay. Would you believe me that my tee shot on hole four, all three of my tee shots all landed in the fence on the left. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. That's, and I birdied one of the holes. I birdied one day being all the way over in the fence. That's why I think you got to put, you got to put a hazard because it sucks throwing over there, but give me hazard, give me hazard down the left. So that way, if you do throw a cut roller and it sucks, it sucks for you. And then I think there needs to be a little bit of OB or hazard around the basket. There's there's okay, not, you, not enough danger around the basket. Other than that, I like that hole. What about this? What about putting out-of-bounds hazard on both sides, forcing the player to throw an air shot through the gap? Then after that, it widens up to where now you get it rewarded with the roller to where you can throw it out there somewhere and get into a good position. And then it tightens up again at the basket. 
Potentially. I wouldn't mind it. All right. I'm going to run through these real quick, actually, because this is taking way longer than I thought. And these are really just notes for Leonard because I know Leonard said he's going to watch this. So this is what I'm I have not going to give my opinion on any of them going. Forward. I'm, a, I'm just going to run through these real quick and we'll move on because this is taking way too long. And most people probably don't even care about course design as much as I do because I love it. Hole five. Give me hazard short. Give me hazard around the green in a semicircle. Hole seven. Drop zone uh, for shots that go OB. Hole eight. Hazard left of the green hole nine OB left of the basket hole 10 hazard, right? And shorter T shot for drop zone with OB shots. I don't like the death putt drop zone there. Uh, or sorry. I don't like people tapping in for par. If they go OB by the basket hole t- 12, the drop zone, give me 50 feet closer to, um, the basket. So it's like a 300 foot shot hole 13. Give me hazard short of the green left and right hole 14. Give me hazard down the left of the fairway. Boom. Done. Moving on. Um, all right. Interesting comment. The interesting comment from resident one, three, two. I believe this was, where was this? Where did I, find? I don't even know where I found this, but they basically said, I really wish we had more all par three or mostly par three courses on tour. Par fours and fives just aren't as fun to watch on coverage to me. Hard to get a sense of where they need to land or what the shots demand. Do you agree or not? Do we need more par three courses? Do you think we need more par threes on courses? What are your, what's your take on that? I don't think we need more par threes. What I, what I do think is we need more technical par threes. Um, I think, I think that a par three needs to be a technical shot where you're just land soft. And there is, I do believe there is an exception to this. And I think one of the best holes on the course Aside from being in the middle of the field, like I think you might have said you didn't like throwing through that gap. I forgot what it was. Maybe it was 12 or something through the gap, flexing to the basket. Thought that was a great hole because because of the gap and the flight that you have to take to get there. Now, with that tech, um, with that being a technical hole, love it as a par three. Now, if I the one thing I do not like is having 500 foot par threes because, and I've said this before, I agree. I, I think it's too far. I think a par three needs to be mid iron, mid iron and down as far as shaping a technical shot into the, into the green. My take on this always has been the same. The big thing that par threes are missing if you only play a par three course to me, you're eliminating essentially a huge aspect of disc golf, which is course management strategy, the mental side of the game. When you play a tech, even a technical par three course, you don't really make that. You don't really have that much decision-making when you throw a bad shot, when you have a, a par four or par five and you throw a bad shot, you then all of a sudden get put in positions of where it's like, Ooh, do I want to get super aggressive? Do I want to try to lay up? I like that. I like where it's like now players not only can mess up the shot itself, they can also mess up the actual like selection of the shot or what they, you know, what they decide to do. And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit with how the MPO turned out because there was some interesting play down the end for some of those players. Let's jump into the FPO recap. Paige Pierce takes it down. First and foremost, let's talk about this trophy. 
I might give this trophy an 8.5 out of 10. I I like this trophy. I think it's and I'm pretty critical on trophies. Yuli, you like it or you don't like it? I like it. And I loved second, third, fourth, fifth. Did you see those trophies? Yeah, I don't care about that. I'm not I'm not I'm not doing a I'm not doing a a middle school swim meet where you get ribbons all the way for like 18th place. You get an 18th place. I do not care about that. I don't You're shut me that. down like that. Did you see I'm, that? I, I, I yes, they they probably went to Dave and Buster's and got them out of a claw machine. <laughs> I think people enjoyed them though. I think people enjoyed them. I thought and they were unique. Great. They were fo- they were foxes in case nobody knows what they were. They were stuffed animal <laughs> foxes that had uh the places on their neck like a collar and I thought it was awesome. And I saw Gannon with his out of the window uh, of their car, just having a good old ride. He was enjoying his trophy, so I, I didn't mind it. It was funny. We were, I, I me and Ezra stuck, um, stuck after to, you know, obviously cheer on um, Aaron Gossett, who, if you don't know, is he's staying with me and Ezra basically in Airbnbs this whole season. So we were cheering him on. He ended up obviously not winning, but when he came over, uh, Cole basically came up to him and was like, Hey, listen, you know, me, you, and, um, who was it? Someone else. I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, but three people had tied for third. They're like, we only have one, they only have one Fox. So we need to like figure out how we're, who's going to get the Fox. <laughs> and I would have been like, bro, I don't want the Fox. Just get out of here. Just get out of my face, man. You can take the Fox. Um, I thought it was unique. But Aaron was actually was a lot more pleasant and nice than, than I would have been, I'm sure. But uh, sure, whatever. You like the Foxes, that's great. I think the trophy is awesome. Again, a huge step up from last year where they just gave Simon a disc. And it's like... we. Do you think that the Fox... Are the Foxes a step up from the disc? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. The, the, the disc might be the... Other than a ribbon, the disc might be the worst thing you could give someone at a disc golf tournament for winning. Yeah. That's, that's how I'll look. All right. Let's look at this leaderboard real, real quick um, on the FPO side of things and see how it all went down. Paige Pierce pretty much dominated from start to finish. Didn't really have to do too much going into the final round. Was able to just kind of hold on to the lead that she had. Uh, created leading up to it after an incredible round two where she ended up shooting 12 under no bogeys, 12 birdies, just absolutely shredded the course. It seemed like the course probably played the easiest in round two round three. There was definitely a little bit of wind, um, but the wind really didn't pick up, uh, which is something that I wish maybe was brought up a little bit more. I think sometimes people that don't watch coverage, just see what the the wind was for the day and don't realize that the wind picked up because I know some people were like mentioning how windy it was in the beginning uh, or they would say like it was super windy in the beginning for FPO. It wasn't. Uh, If you got out there early, it wasn't really windy. The wind really came in towards the end. So people that had later tee times had to pretty much play their entire round under wind and which made it a little bit interesting there uh, for the MPO side, but for FPO, it seemed pretty, pretty easy for Paige to kind of just cruise to a victory here. She finished the last five holes, which we'll get to in the sense of like 
difficulty wise, she finished the last five holes one over. So it wasn't even like she had to kind of push towards the end. A lot of people kind of fell off there. Uh, you know, Ella Hansen ended up triple bogeying 17 and bogeying 18 to fall to fourth place. Uh, she probably would have, it looked like she probably would have, eh, she probably would have gotten third, I guess. Uh, own Scoggins looked like she kind of had second place locked in, but own again, my goodness, what is going on? This is not a course that you think right off the top of your head that owns going to be able to compete, right? Like no one's thinking that, but my goodness, is she, is she playing good disc golf this year? She doesn't care, man. She's just throwing her shots, <laughs> staying, staying in control. I mean, that's what it is. If you don't take a lot of bogeys, look at her scorecard. She took one bogey that round. I mean, that's good golf. That's going to get it done uh, every single time, every single time in any division. If you don't take bogeys and you get, and you sprinkle birdies in there, you're going to have a good round, good tournament. So that's what she is. She's Mrs. Consistent right now. She, she reminds me right now, a lot of Maddie O where always kind of towards the top of the leaderboard, but hasn't really been able to get over the hump to actually take a win down. So we'll see yeah. if, if, if she can keep it going, Beaver state fling, who knows this might be a course that she can get her first W at or her first, I guess, big win this year. Uh, Emily beach with a great finish. Ella Hansen, like we mentioned earlier, also getting a top five with Missy Gannon, Haley King hanging around, hanging around. Yes. But again, you know, maybe leaving a little bit more for, for desire. I would say, you know, I think this course suits her game really well. It's tough, I guess, for me and you, because this course was very different. Like the, the layout was very different yeah. from what we played. So it's a lot harder, I think, for us to like really give an opinion of like, oh, she should have done better. Or but top 10 still getting in there. Cat Merch still getting a sneaky top 10. This is a field, though, where again, though, we need to start. We need to start kind of almost not criticizing, but being a little bit more harsher, I would say, because even though there were 47 people in the event, right. And the FPO field is getting bigger, which is awesome. There is still a massive gap between the top players and the bottom. Uh, mainly the, the, the way you, you can view this is page ended up winning at 25 under. And then I think cash like last cash um, let me see if I can pull that up. I want to say last cash was pretty, pretty low. So there was a pretty massive gap between, um, I mean, just looking at a top 20, there was, you know, 25 strokes between 20th place and first. So the gap is still pretty nuts. Sayananda, I was expecting a little bit more out of her. You know, she goes, wins an event. We don't see or hear from her really for a while comes back out. She started off pretty strong, ended up not finishing that great. She ended up taking a double on 17 to kind of knock her down a little, a few spots, but I'm sure she probably was a little bit frustrated with maybe her performance. I think she probably would have thought she would have done a little bit better out there than 10th. Um, and then the big story, as far as like movement goes with these last holes, we talked about Katrina, Katrina Allen, takes a double on 16 and then I don't even know what this I don't even know what this is called but is seven over on 17 after throwing four shots in the water which can easily happen on that hole so 
she ended up taking nine strokes in the last three holes, which knocked her essentially from a tie, a, a tie for third all the way down to 11th. So, um, but that was essentially the FPO. The big storyline here was the dominance that Paige Pierce kind of showed, showed from the beginning to the end. And I can't wait to ask some of the questions because she still has haters, right? She still has people being like, well, you won, but so I'm curious to see what she thinks about that. A stat that was very interesting that stat Mando uh, put up. I don't know if you saw this, Yuli. Majors elite and throw pink since 20 from 2021 till today. Paige Pierce without Tatar in the field, 23 events, 11 wins, 48%. Paige Pierce with Tatar in the field, 21 events, three wins, 14%. And that's the, that's the story, right? That is, that is the storyline of can, can she win with, when Tatar is in the field on a consistent basis? Well, I'm going to push back on that because she, she shot 1040 the second round. She didn't have to push at the end of the round. If Kristen is in the field, are you, are you, are you speculating that that puts pressure on her and that she's not going to be able to perform to that high level? Because then I'd do pushback and I'd say, Hey, in Austin, they're both in the field. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not speculating anything. I think when Paige plays her best, I think she can compete every single tournament. I'm just Paige saying plays her best. Kristen plays her best. Who wins? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we've seen that. I don't think we've seen that. So I hope we do. Yeah. I, I really hope, hope we do. I, I hope there is a little bit more of a back and forth, but yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying what people are talking about, right? Like that is, that is the narrative going around on one side of the fence of yeah. great win, but Kristen wasn't there. And I don't think that is a fair take in the sense that we can only beat the people that are in the field. If they're not in the field, but on the other side, do you find it interesting? Because I saw a lot of chatter about that. Did not see a lot of chatter on the MPO side with Emerson, right? We did not see the, well, Matty O wasn't there. Ricky wasn't there. Paul wasn't there. We don't really see that as much because one there isn't really a player on the MPO side that is as dominant as Kristen is on the FPO side. And then the other thing is we've, we've just seen so many people can win and move up yeah. and down the leaderboards to where it's like, yeah, when a couple people are gone, it's like, you still have to beat a crap ton of really freaking good people. I mean, on Kristen's watch, Cy won, right? Yep. On Kristen, Kristen's watch, Cat Merch won. Yep. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like she's just holding it down tight. I think yeah. the field's good. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I agree with you. I agree with you. How uh, many times has Kristen won this, this year? Do you know? Off ooh, the top good, of your head. Good question. Because I know for a fact, I would say three. Paige has won twice now. Okay. Yeah. I, I would so say three, three but, two. It, but it might be more. It might, it might okay. be more. I don't know if Silas can get that. Maybe Silas can get fact check, fact check us on that. Well, she's a major champion. I do know that, but that I, I would, holds a lot of weight. Yeah. I would, I would guess three. 
All right, let's quickly run through some of the stories in, in uh, on the MPO side, and then we're going to have, uh, I believe, our first guest, which will be Nate Sexton, come on here at the top of the hour, which I cannot wait for. So MPO side, the, 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 the stories that I saw, and we'll probably get a little bit more into like how everything went down when Emerson comes on, since he was there first, you know, first and foremost, obviously. The commentary. One of the comments that I saw was uh, from Underwater Boy. I think th- this might actually be from Reddit. I might be getting some of these from Reddit or from Twitter or Instagram. I look all over the place always. I hate to pile on DOS, but the dude has to stop talking in absolutes to close out a tournament. It is totally over for Gossage. All Emerson has to do is get pars from here on out. There's no chance of them coming back now. Dude, we are just a couple years removed from someone throwing in 200 plus feet to force a playoff, not to mention Paige throwing OB earlier that day to open the window back up for Cat. The tournament isn't over until the disc is in the basket. Play that up. Anything can happen. It's infuriating to me. I'll say this. I think the hardest thing for a commentator to do is try to keep the audience engaged when everyone kind of knows what the result is. Because the last thing you want to do is essentially tell people there's five minutes left in this basketball game, but guys, it's over. You can turn the TV off. This team is not going to win. You don't want to like tell people to like stop watching essentially. Right. Yeah. So you Mm -hmm. try to, you try to play it up to where it's not over until it's over. And I have heard this sometimes I, I I'm not as infuriated as this commentator commenter is, but I have heard this not even from, not just from DOS, but from other people during live where something will happen and then they'll just make a really like over exaggerated hyperbole comment towards it that I don't think we necessarily need. I agree. I mean, I, I kind of agree with his statement. It's not over till it's over. I do think it's the commentator's job to have other storylines that they can back up when it gets to that point as well. So it's their job to be able to have storylines within the thing, statistics of other, of other players, statistics of Gossage, statistics of Emerson that they can then play back and say, okay, blah, 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 blah. And make a storyline of that to keep the audience engaged. Like you're saying, I, I, I was watching live and I got a little, I, I wasn't angry, but I was like, okay, why would Doss say that? Because it's not over. These holes are ridiculously hard. And yes. we're talking, we're talking about first time winners. We're not talking about closers. Yeah. The person who is winning. Good point. The person who's winning the tournament at that point in time with three holes left, wasn't the people on the card. It was Gannon Burr because he's in the clubhouse with a number, mm-hmm. right? It's these guys' job to then protect and to feel out what they need to do to win the tournament. Now, these guys are experienced players, but let me tell you something. It is tough to win on the on the Pro Tour. It is very hard, and it is hard to close on the Pro Tour, and especially at the OTB Open where we have 16, 17, and 18, and when the nerves are going a certain way. Listen, hole 18, you can hit 
the tree, go into the woods, pitch out, throw it to a spot, and then yeah. you throw it out of bounds on that. You miss your putt, and what are we looking at? We're looking at a six or a seven mm-hmm. right there. Gossage takes a two. All of a sudden, it's a different ball game, and then Gannon wins. Just yep. like that. Yeah. No. So I, ag- I, I agree with that. Now, to break, bring it back to reality, is that going to happen? Probably not because – Emerson is a great player. He's in control of his game. He better be able to throw his disc in spots to where he just takes two pars and a bogey. Mm-hmm. Like he better be able to do that. Hole 17, another another I shot. See. He he throws it to, he throws a really good drive. It's not a guarantee that you throw a really good drive. Nope. You could hit short, throw it to a spot. Now you're in a spot where you're like, okay, am I going to take bogey? Guess what? Bogey isn't easy to take. You have to throw it inbounds again, pitch it up, and then make a putt. All these things are tough to do, especially when you're under the pressure that these guys are, which I is just, pressure that they've never been able to do before, ever. They've never been able to close a tournament. And I'm I'm happy other people like are starting to I don't know if they're starting to realize this or they're just watching it and it's happening more. Another thing that like would annoy me is you know when someone would throw a shot inside the circle to like 25 feet. Guaranteed the, make, the, dude. Yep. You'd be like, oh well, that's gonna be another birdie for Anthony Barella. That's gonna move him to seven under. It's like, well, I mean, what are we doing here? So to me, like I, I just don't think you should ever you should talk about possibilities. I don't mind that. Right. Like if a B ends up making this putt coming up, he will jump into a tie. I don't mind that. I just don't think we should be like, Oh, well this hole is going to be super easy for him to par. So he's going to have this. No problem. I I don't think it makes it that interesting. Now on the other side of the coin, you're talking about a three time world champion. You're talking Mm -hmm. about a U S champion. This guy is the, one of the greatest players of all time. What he is saying is fact, whether people want to recognize that or not, because at the end of the day, he was right. He was right. So there's two sides of the coin. The person he was, he in the was, booth, he the was person wrong. in the, go ahead. He was the person in the booth knows more than you. He's also not a professional commentator. He's learning just like all of us are. Yeah. And he will learn from this and he'll probably try to be better in the next time. But for the keyboard warriors to be able to be like, Oh, this is bad. Blah, 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 blah. I agree in a sense, but I also know that what he's saying is facts. It's coming from a veteran player who's been out there in those situations, who knows what it takes to win and knows what it takes to choke off and lose. Gannon Burr. What, what is wrong with this kid? What, what, what is this kid eat? What is this kid doing this? He was not in this tournament. He had no business being in this tournament and has decided, you know what? I'm going to put some pressure on some people today. I'm going to go out there and just light up the back nine ends up making nine birdies to, to end uh, or to basically that nine to 17 stretch nine birdies. I also, he was in a position to birdie 18 in up making maybe a poor decision with the disc kind of misread the wind a little bit ends up bogeying 18. But I mean, Gossage literally told me no one really on his card was pushing, right? They were all kind of just eh, kind of going through. And he was like, at one point in time, he looked on the leaderboard and saw what Gannon was doing 
and was like, all right, I need to worry about Gannon. He put pressure on those, on those players. And the fact that he's able to just go out there at any moment and have rounds like this, it's not, we've seen this time and time before. It's not, this is not like a random thing that Gannon like, Oh my gosh, he just played out of his mind. No, he plays out of his mind on a consistent basis. And he almost pulled off this win, which would have been an absolutely insane win. Yeah. Two things I can take from that. One of the things is, listen, if he birdies 18, that's the most ridiculous round I've heard of. (laughs) It's nuts. Okay. So birdie in 16 was impossible that day. Birdie in 17 was impossible that day. And 18 was the easiest hole out of the stretch of the three holes. If he birdies 18, which I did see because I was watching live, he was in a perfect position. He felt tailwind, which was a tricky little thing because it was tailwind off coming down that chute, but always a right to left crosswind. So he threw high spike, yeah, high spike hyzer wide and it lifted out of bounds left, missed the putt because ultimately he probably thought that he lost anyway. Mm. But if he posts a 23 under par, there is no doubt in my mind that he's the winner. And now, I'm, and now I'm speaking like DOS. <laughs> well, it's after the fact. It's, we, after the fact, I think, you're, I think you have the past to like make those things. But yeah, Gannon, Gannon went nuts. And uh, let's, let's quickly kind of run through Nate Sexton's round because I, I, this is something that we're going to get to, obviously, when he comes on here. Yeah. He ends up parring 10, I believe, 10 holes yeah. to make the cash by one. My goodness. What it like no to make the cash on the number, not even buy one. Makes the on cash the on the number, parring 10 holes coming in home home stretch. Absolutely nuts. Um, another storyline, Aaron Gossage putt let him down. He missed. Uh, this is on the back nine. Final round on the back nine. He lays up hole 10, which was like just right around circle's edge or circle. He misses a circle one X or inside the circle putt on 11 misses an inside the circle putt on 12 misses two inside the circle putts on 13 misses an inside circle putt on 14 misses an inside circle putt on 16 misses an inside circle putt on 17. If Gossage just has a mediocre putting round, he wins this tournament by like four. So my uh, advice to Gossage would be this. He's changing his putt. Well, I don't, I don't think that's the problem. Oh, okay. It's not, I don't, I don't think it's the problem because he was making putts before that mm. he got to, if he was putting like that, the whole tournament, do you think he would have been anywhere near the lead? No, but talking with him this week, I think his putt, the way he, the way he, his putt currently is, I think it's a, a more difficult putt to stay consistent when pressure comes in, when, oh. when, and I think that's what he's trying to work on is trying to get a little bit more timing, a little bit more fluidness, a little bit bigger of a uh, follow through just so that when that pressure does end up coming, he's able to be like, I can just go to business and take care of it and, and doesn't have to think too much. Does that kind of make sense a little bit, I guess, or it makes sense. But I mean, the, <laughs> the facts of the matter are, are this, he putted fine before pressure got turned on. And then his putt fell apart. That has mm-hmm. nothing to do with his putt because when the pressure's not on, he's a great putter. Mm-hmm. He's proven that th- through the tournament. And then it failed once he started looking at his phone and he saw that Gannon took is doing yeah. something. And that's, and that's when it fell apart. It's between the ears. 
That's what it is. That's where the pressure is anyway for anybody, right? Mm. Because let me <laughs> let me tell you this, okay? You take Ricky Wysocki's putt and you try to putt that thing under pressure. You know how hard yeah. that putt is? Mm-hmm. Have you ever even tried to mimic it? I have. I actually got decently good at it at one point. Um, were you but yes, any, it, is, were, it is. No, it, I was during a practice round. It was not in any yeah. sort of meaningful time. But yes, it is a hard putt to mimic for sure. And he's fine under pressure. He's one of the clutchest players we've ever seen. So yeah. I would say work on your mental game. Your putt's fine. Knock it down. Don't score board watch until the round's over. We've seen a lot of winners come and do that because they didn't want the pressure to get to them and they won the tournament. All right. We have Nate Sexton here. We have a few more things to to discuss, which we'll add on to the end of the show, but we're not going to leave the man waiting for us. We're going to bring him in right now. Nate Sexton looks like from live from this beautiful patio. Yeah. Backyard. Live from Augusta national. Yeah. You got some (laughs) azaleas in the back there. I got it all. Wow. Very nice. How, how, how does it feel like uh, being able to play kind of in your backyard almost with the Beaver State Fling this week? It's real nice. Um, I'm probably going to commute each day for for this one. And then for Portland Open with the Jomez duties, I'll probably be staying up in Portland. But for Beaver State, I'll probably be popping back and forth. It's about hour and 15 minutes for me up to that course. Nice. Okay. Very yeah. nice. All right, I got, we got to first jump into it because I've got lots of questions for you, so we'll try to get through as many as we possibly can. The first one, I got to say, first off, congrats on keeping the cash streak alive. We just, we just talked about how you went 10 pars in a row to get it on the number. Do yeah. you know, do you have, what's the number at right now of, of how many that's been? Do you have that number? No, it's, it's mid to high 200s. Wow. Tournaments. It's it's the last the last missed cash was January two thousand eight at a C tier. So Okay, so yeah, over I mean we're getting we're getting close to, to two decades here if you keep playing a little bit. My yeah, gosh. Yeah, I mean it's getting tougher though for sure. Like it it certainly averaging ten twenty never used to make you worried. And now hmm. now if you kinda have that little off weekend like that OTB I took a quadruple bogey in the first round. I was I was kinda humming. I was seven under uh going into hole sixteen, took a quad, finished that round at four under with a nice birdie on eighteen. But that's pretty hard to overcome, you know, even just like one, like I kept joking with Yuli, I played one bad minute of golf that day, but it turned into a quad. <laughs> so, and then you're, then you're, you're in some trouble. My wife's stepping on a dog here in the background. Sorry about that. No, it's all good. So, so how much pressure do you put on yourself now when you come into these tournaments? <clears throat> I try, to, I'm trying, I'm going. actively trying to put less on myself because that, that is a thing. And I would find myself sort of like, man, it'd be fun to throw a backhand, but it could go OB. So I guess I'll just keep throwing these forehands. And it's like a boring, like it's boring even for me sometimes to play in that style. So I was just telling my wife right before I came on this show, I'm trying to like give myself permission to miss cash to allow me to play a little more free this weekend. So I'm put, I'm trying to put it on the line, just rip some shots, have a little more fun because I'm not, I, I'm not going to try to pretend like I don't think about it sometimes where I'm like, man, you know, there's there. I have this little voice sometimes that almost says, "What a relief it'll be when I miss," mm. because then I can just do whatever. I, then I can just throw some shots. You know, it won't be the, a talking point. You know, like this dude's on this amazing streak. It's like I'm proud of it, and obviously I want to keep it going, play my best golf. 
but I don't really like being in like 41st place, all stressed out. Like I'm already not happy with 41st, you know? So it's like, there's part of me that's, that's kind of trying to get to a place where it's like, no man, just throw it hard, throw the backhand, throw the shot that you think is the right shot. Be the best player you can be. Maybe, maybe pop up and get a win sometime before it's all said and done. I know yeah, that Brody okay. has a, a lot of questions for you, but I just, I really have one question because you've been playing a, a long time at a very high level in your perspective, how much better are disc golfers now compared to in 2008 when you missed your cash? And then what has it been like trying to keep this streak going with knowing that every single weekend people are getting better like you said, 1020 is, is like not a safe bet anymore for, for last cash and 1020 back in the day, if you were 1020, you were like, you were nice. You yeah. Know? You're doing okay. Yeah, for sure. I, I guess my take on it, I think the very best disc golfers are certainly a bit better than they were in 2008. But I think the big thing is there's like 35 of them now. And there were like six of them then. So I don't know that the level at the top, top, top is like, blowing away like uh, uh just a barry schultz who's on one is shooting 1100 like the guy the guy is shredding in 2008 no 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 argument but there's just the density is what makes it so much harder now because there's so many dudes that are capable of 1035 weekends and there and it wasn't like that uh back in the day it was just a bunch of locals couple touring guys but if you threw 1035, like even now 1035 is cashing, but you know, you were, you were, you're safe. So that's how I see that is, is a, it's more about density and parity in the field than it is about the best players being so much better than they used to be. Just that, just, there's a ton now. So you briefly mentioned this when we were talking about your cash streak. Do you feel that sometimes the, having that in the back of your mind has limited you from going out and trying to win an event. Yeah. Yeah. I think it has, but it's also made me do some cool stuff. Like there was a year at Vegas when I, I looked at the scores and I said, well, you better birdie the last four. And I did it. And there was a year at Jonesboro where I was like, you need to birdie 18. And I did it, you know? And it's like, that's cool too. Like where I can, I've had a good, a good track record over these last couple of years of, in the U-Disc era, when, when things haven't been going my way and I finally do turn on the phone reluctantly and go, oh, I better look. It's not going to be good, but I better look. Mm. And then I've been able to kind of respond, you know, because 18 is a tough get, obviously, at Jonesboro. I got that to get in, got those birdies in Vegas when I needed to, made, made a really clutch putt this year in Vegas, about a 25-foot spinner into, like, ripping wind just to make it to the final day. Wow. So it's not, it's not golf I'm proud of, except in those moments when I knew when it's do or die, you know? So there's been a few moments where that, that did make me proud of myself because it's like, well, you want to play tomorrow? You need to make this. And so far I've made it every time. And I know I won't make it every time forever, but so far I have. I've said this before. It's like one of my favorite quotes is there's no pressure like last cash pressure. Yeah. Can you, can you like give the audience like, What's the difference? My take on it, I'll give you my take and see if yours is similar. My take is when I'm battling for last cash, I'm obviously not playing my best. Yep. I'm obviously down there and I'm not playing my best golf. And then you have players 
let's say that are a little bit lower than you as far as your good compared to their good. And they're playing out of their minds, right? They're like playing very good and they're competing and they're like, Oh, I'm going to get you. And so you're stuck in this place where it's like, you're obviously struggling to make 25 foot putts. If you're in that last cash spot and then you're faced with that. And I think you spoke to that by saying, no, I've done some really cool things by just be playing bad. And then birdie in the last couple to find that pressure. What's the difference between last cash pressure and usdgc winning major champions because obviously you have more experience in doing both of those things than i bet anybody in the world (laughs) yeah it is different for sure i think last cash pressure is more like it happens between the ears and it's a lot of like come on man what are you doing why did you why did you even fly down here like you need to, you know, like what, why, why are you away from your family? And just to do this, just to take bogeys, you know, I'll have that berating myself a little bit in my head when you're winning the USDGC, you're like, come on. Like, you know, like it's more just like one shot, one more shot, one more shot, you know, and you know, you're playing amazing and the fans are there when it's last cash pressure. Nobody sees that. So it's not like yeah. anybody's going to clap for you. You know, you're just, that's more of a lonely, a lonely fight but it's, but it's pressure all the same. Yeah. I think, I think you, what you said has definitely resonated with me multiple times of where I'm playing so bad and you try, you have to get that thought of like, I'm here. Why am I here? Mm-hmm. I, I could be spending time with my wife at home and I'm out here about to get 80th place. This, what am I doing? And when you have that thought, like that's not going to lead you towards any sort of good path. Right. Yeah. I mean, I try to use it. I try to use it to like wake myself up and go like, you know, like, is this what you came here to do? Like I Mm. sort of, and I'll be over a putt and I'll be like for my wife, for my daughter, just Mm. to try to make it like, even though it's like, we're playing Frisbee, I'm not out here fighting some war, but I, but you know what I mean? I just try to like put a little extra on myself. Like you're not leaving this short because you flew all the way down here. You're spending time, you know, and it's like, even if it is for 39th, but ideally, uh, hopefully, I won't have to do that too many more times. I've been, I've been, I've been leaving myself on that line a little too often lately. Do you think it'll ever get broken? Oh, of course, of course. Really? Maybe this, maybe this weekend. Like, no, no, will no, I no, ever no, miss no, cash? No, no, no. no, no. Will your cash streak, the the length of your cash streak, do you oh. think it will ever get broken? Oh gosh, I mean, it's it, it, it's a lot tougher in this era. I'll, I have a little mm-hmm. leg up, I think, from playing in a different era. Uh, for, well, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to define the end of one and the start of the other. We've had that conversation, but I don't think, I'm, I don't think I'm, it'll happen from a modern player. Uh, like say they started the streak today. I don't see somebody going to 2038 and making it through. You know, yeah. I don't it'd know. Be t- I, it'd be tough. They would have it, to play a lot of like local events. Yeah. And that's, not that's, that many. that's kind of the, the, the caveat, but I played, you know, certainly over a hundred elite series and majors and I've never missed cash at any of them. So, Wild. so it's like, uh, I, I have a hundred percent record in, in elite series and majors. So we heard, I think we heard one of the little ones out there a second ago. How, how has becoming a father, having a family, how has that kind of affected your disc golf career? Um, you know, it, it obviously it makes you, it gives you more responsibility in your life. And there's, you know, different things that I'm accountable for now. Uh, early, I think it helped my disc golf career because 
right when we had Coraline, that was when I bought the RV and, and she came on the road with us when she was three months old and my wife was off from medical school. And that's when I won the USDGC because wow. we were there two weeks early. I was like, I'm just going to go play nine today and I'll be back. Like that's how, that's how luxurious my practice was where now I fly in, roast my arm and then just try to hang on till the end of the, <laughs> till the end of the weekend, you know, cause practice round is like, I'm still feeling OTB. I wasn't sure until today mm. that I was going to play Beaver State, but I went up there and uh, through and kind of tested out. I'm going to rest tomorrow. But, yeah, the, especially when I'm in that mode where I'm throwing too many forehands, which I want to get away from. But, yeah, how has it changed it? I, I mean, initially, yeah, like I said, it, it kind of uh, it was the most comfortable I've ever been because it was like my home was there with me, and it never it didn't feel like the put. I didn't have the push and the pull of, like, yeah, I'm out here, but I could be there. It's like they were mm. with me in the RV. So then I've that's the best I ever felt. And probably the best I ever played was like through that time where I was playing every, almost every day, but I had the support of my family there with me these days, obviously, you know, the Texas, that little Texas swing, two tournaments in a row, that's about my max. Like, I don't, I can't really imagine spending 21 days straight away because my wife works a lot. And it's just like every day on the FaceTime call, you can just kind of feel it's all kind of, you know, get every quality of life is slowly going like this, you know, and it's like, everything's getting frazzled and, and it's hard, you know? And so it's like her just alone handling everything, every dinner, getting Coraline to school, all that. It's like, I, I just can't really just be out there for a long time. So it's changed me that way where I have to kind of pick and choose my spots, maybe a couple back to backs, but a lot of just kind of fly in, fly out. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. How, how do you decide what tournaments to play? Do you, is it based off of just like your chances of winning? Is it based off of, I really like this of tournament? Cashing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cashing. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it, that, that is part of it. I didn't, I don't play, I'm not trying to play WR Jackson. I don't, I don't think that it suits me. <laughs> so I don't care anything about that. Um, but no, I, it's a lot of factors. Obviously it's, you know, my family's schedule. There's going to be some that's like, can't do it. You know, mm. that's a birthday or that's this, or there's a reason I can't, my wife's got something going on. Other than that, it's like, what do I want to play? Uh, what does Innova want me to play? Mm. And yeah, what, what, you know, that's, that's kind of the main ones. Do I have time? Is it important to me? Is it important to Innova? That's kind of how I the, do the majority of my decision-making. Can you give us a little backstory? Cause I, I have no idea and I'm sure there's gonna be tons of people roasting me for having no clue about the, the disc golf lore here, but how did the Sexton Firebird come about? Okay, sure. Uh, 2014, uh, my wife had gotten into medical school in North Carolina. So we knew we were leaving our home in Oregon and we were going to move and do this big adventure before we had our daughter. And so I remember I, I sent a message to Innova and I was to like the team director, Jonathan pool. I said, Hey, I really want to make, I want, I want to be on the highest team. I just want to make it clear to you guys. I want to be on the star team. I want to be, you know, big disc golfer. I'm, I, I had always been sort of a part-time guy. Yuli will remember this. I never was on the tour. Like I would come out to the USDGC whip up on some people, go home. But I wouldn't like, it wasn't like I was out there in my car, like driving around with these dudes. I was like, had, I had, you know, my wife, I had things that going on at home. Uh, but then I, I told him that I said, I'm going to play 30 tournaments. I want to, I want to be on the top team. And I remember the early email I got back was like, that's awesome, man. We, we, we hope you can do it. Just win the worlds. And I was kind of <laughs> like, 
okay. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Macbeth is right there. You know, like I'm probably not getting by him. Mm-hmm. This guy, Macbeth is in just on, you know, he's on two in a row looking to make it three and then ultimately make it another, a fourth. So I was a little discouraged by that. Uh, but eventually, you know, I played my 30 tournaments. I played like, I don't know, seven, eight tiers. I think I, I think I played, I think I podiumed all of them and I played, you know, the majors and stuff. And I was like the most I'd ever really tried to play in one year. And then I kind of revisited it with them and they were like, there were, they were still, it was kind of still a little unsure, but then they decided, yeah, we are going to do it. We're going to put you on, on the top team. And then I, then I had a tour series and I remember I had like these firebirds that were made in 2006. They were actually Beaver state fling stamped. They were glow firebirds and they were my babies. And I took those to Innova and said, I need them to feel like this. I want them to be this older style where they're not, because the firebirds around then were like board flat, so stiff, so overstable. And I couldn't Mm. hardly even use them for anything. So I was more like, I need this flex. I need this little bit of dome. That's what I want. And they did a great job. They kind of just, built that disc like reverse engineered this, these glow discs that I had already had and been throwing for a long time. So that's kind of the, the story of how that, that got started. So the Sexton firebird is a different mold than a firebird. Mm, I don't think so. I honestly, I don't know, Oh, okay. but I don't think so. I think it's just more about plastic Plas- the, the way, the way that it, the yes, mold is, but made. I don't have any, I've never, they, no one has ever given me the impression that it's a different mold, but that's kind of, above my pay grade to be honest i just throw the things gotcha you throw them well Thanks. and and a lot of other people really like them as yeah, well no but i don't i don't believe it's a different mold <laughs> okay uh which commentating do you prefer if you could only do one like which one do you like the live do you like the post mm, they're both fun uh but gosh <sighs> i i would probably i think live is for me a little bit more exciting but I like doing the post cause I get to hang out with German Yuli, but I don't like the post cause it's either super early in the morning or late at night. And I got like other things going on at the time. I'm like trying to do the tournament when I do live. The nice thing about that is that's all I'm doing all day. And I, mm-hmm. and I'm like front row seat to like the lead card and just talking about it. So they have, the, they both, they have their pluses and their minuses. I like both uh, hard, hard for me to choose one, but I think certainly live is a little bit more exciting because it's because I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going to happen. you know, and I know do that you, it's, do you try to not see results and stuff when you do post? Do you try um, to like, when bit. you're watching like, I'm it? not going to, I'll, I always, am going to know who won, but I'm not like scouring the U disc and going like, Oh, look, he missed a putt. Like I want to be able to have some authentic reaction because then it's more fun. And I think the product is better if I'm, kind of giving you it's it's way easier to keep up that ruse of that we're seeing this for the first time we don't know what's going to happen because it's kind of a funny little dance that we do where you know that's just how disc golf commentary came to be because we didn't have the we didn't have the money or the the equipment to go live back in the day so that was the only option is this sunset getting too brutal no it's fine i I think it's peaceful for the people watching perfect the listeners Um, won't even know so you're good yeah sweet uh i think where was that? I was saying something about post. Where, what was I, where was I going with that? The ruse of, uh, of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that it makes it easier yeah. to keep that up. Cause it is a weird thing that that's just because we couldn't do live. Cause we're a little sport at the time. It just became this thing where disc golf commentary is part in sharing your knowledge and sharing your insights and part a funny little pretend game where you're acting, you know, and going <laughs> <"Whoa!"> <laughs> about something that happened, you know, 12 hours ago. 
that you were probably in, there for. In, in Nate's defense, like for example, this last week, he, I just couldn't wait to talk about it. I'm just like, dude, wait till you wait till I tell you this. And he goes, well, do you think I should hear it? Cause I'll hear it. Or do you think it should be a natural reaction? And, and, and he's like, no, I'm going to wait. I want to see, because I was about ready to just be like, dude, gosh, you just missed like eight putts in a row. Emerson's knocking down these crazy putts. Gannon's coming in, you know, posting this crazy score. And I was so excited. And he's like, no, I'm going to wait. So. <laughs> yeah. I, that's, that's a funny little microcosm of like how I feel some people in disc like disc golf groups are of where you show up to the course to play with your buddies on Monday and you're like, Oh my God. And they're like, don't tell me I haven't seen, I haven't seen Jomas yet. Yeah, you're sure. Like, sure. Like, Oh, but I want to, but I want to just, yeah. So it's a weird one where there are those people that just love posts and won't ever watch live. And it makes it tough. I think sometimes to have those interactions with people that just want to talk to you so bad about what they just saw. Yeah. It's, it's wild and crazy. Yeah. Did I hear this right? Are you wanting is a goal of yours to stay relevant in disc golf? So that way, if disc golf gets in the Olympics, you become like the coach. Is that I've I've made that joke, uh, but no, I, 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 more, I wouldn't, it's not quite that serious, but I would say, I think all of us dream of disc golf in the Olympics. The being a realist, I know I'm not making that team but I would like a gold medal. And the way to that gold medal is via the coach. Oh, that's smart. Oh, okay. that's a smart. I'll smart be the play. assistant coach. That's fine. I put yeah. my, my that's name fine. in name in the box. Yeah. We all get the medals. It's I'll great. Be a train. I'll be like the trainer. Or the equipment guy. But I, no, I'll, it wasn't, I'll, yeah, it certainly wasn't something where I was like, this is my plan. You know, it's more <laughs> just like, Hey, I, if it ever makes the Olympics, I know it's going to be too late for me to be on team USA. But, uh, but maybe cause it's going to be a small team, you know, it'd have to be yeah. a pretty big team at this point before they call my name. Well, but, well uh, and you have a lot of experience in that kind of realm. Anyway, I know that even this year you're going to be, uh, the, it's not the coach, it's the captain, yeah, right? Yeah, it's the cup captain captain. Of, of the, of the president's cup, uh, team, which you have captain before as yep. well. Yep. Yeah. This will be my second time. And, uh, probably the only reason germ got to do it instead of me is cause I didn't go to Europe uh, that other year. So, well, there is a lot of pressure. We've never lost. <laughs> I know. And I know. so, and so now you're, it, you know, you don't want to be the first, you don't want to no. be the first guy. No, I've, I've been, some of these Europeans are starting to make some moves too. Yeah. I've yeah. been practicing. I played a practice round with four fins today. I'm already starting the trash talk. I'm already letting them know what it's going to take to beat us. They, they said, Hey, do you want to say anything to the Finnish fans? I made a video today and I said, yeah, I need as many of them as possible to come out on the president's cup day, because without them, it's going to get ugly. And the only chance <laughs> Europe has is if they bring numbers and they're just screaming and yelling. Otherwise it's going to be a bloodbath. Ooh, I, I might need to like show that. up to watch that. You should. Yeah. yeah. And, they're not, and, yeah. and rumor is Simon's not even going to Europe. So that doesn't oh. speak. That doesn't say much about their confidence. Well, I need, I need their, their leading man isn't even going to go. I might not even go because I'm not oh, even wow. qualified yet. I'm not flying over there if I'm not qualified. That we'll see what happens. All right, all right, all right. We'll, we'll keep it going. We'll keep it going. What? This is an interesting question. I asked some people to like send, submit some questions, and I found this one to be a pretty good one. What disc currently in your bag are you jumping in the water to get? Hmm. Gosh, maybe none because the one I would have said I threw in the water in Stockton and I didn't get in. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's the one I would have said. My beat up 2015 Firebird plunked her in the water. Ooh. 
didn't That's get a ten thousand dollar disc, possibly. I don't know about that, but uh, it was a nice disc. <laughs> isn't I was it real... your fir- no? Isn't it your first one? First Firebird. No, like it's one of your. 2015 was like oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an, it's an expensive disc. Ten thousand's a bit of a stretch, but it's an expensive disc. Well, I've heard of them being sold for like eight grand. Yeah, that's true. But this one wasn't that one. This one wasn't like a super rare stamp. It was still but a good it's disc. in your bag. And it was my number one dog. Like it was beat up just right. And yeah, I hit a bank. It was well. I was taking that eight that we talked about earlier. I hit the bank and it slid back in the water. And I asked the spotter where it was and. She was doing her best, but she knew right where my first one was. I didn't want mm. that one back. But the second one that went in the water, it was too much. You know, she's like, I've got this one found. I'm like, well, that one's a traitor. I don't even want to see that one again. But that <laughs> other one I could use back. But yeah, so I guess there's none because, well, I did, and, but also I went in the water today, but the water at Stockton is a little nastier than the water yeah. at Beaver. So I got a disc out of the water today. So I don't know. It's like, if I can see it, I'll get in the water for almost any disc. But gotcha. if, if we got no, if there's no... Nobody can even tell me where they think it is, and and I can't see it. I'm probably not going in the water. There are people driving to Swinson Park right now, just absolutely, <laughs> yeah, di- yeah, diving yeah. It's on into hole the sixteen. Wa- if you find it, you can keep it. It's all good. Diving into the what? water, trying to find. I'm it. going back, and I'm gonna- <laughs> whoever finds it can have it. I've moved on. <laughs> um, all right, this is an interesting question. So this was another one. They said at the end of OTB, the Lone Star team came together to celebrate Emerson's victory, which was super cool. It was the first time I felt like I truly saw a disc team rather than a group of individuals under the same manufacturer umbrella. I was wondering what could be done to make teams feel more like a cohesive group. Do you think the sport would benefit from teams acting more like a traditional sports team rather than individuals? Hmm. Uh, I don't know that I think it would benefit in a huge way. We saw the same thing with Prodigy. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's just more that it's a brand new team. And and I wouldn't be surprised if that's – not that they aren't super happy for Emerson. I'm not trying to undercut anything. I think it was a cool moment. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of like, hey, get over here. Like, everybody, we need everybody here. If mm-hmm. Emerson wins, we got to have that moment because it's a mm-hmm. cool thing. But I, I don't, I'm not sure I, I think – when I see it, I don't, I'm not sure I think it's totally organic. Like, we just love each other so much because we've been on Lone Star together for four months. And we, you know, <laughs> and, we, and we just can't believe it. You know, it's brand new. So it's like a new, new manufacturer. It's a cool thing. I support what they're doing, to m- getting them together. And if it was organic, I support that too. That's awesome that they're there to support them. That's great. I don't know that it well, matters for the sport if, if teams were more like that or not. Um, and I think it's it's a much, much easier thing to have happen if your team is, like, 10 people. Oh, like, Team Innova yeah. is, like, 300 people. Yeah. You know, and a lot of them so were never not, all at the same tournament. So, you know, are you are you rooting, if, if, if it's coming down to an Innova player and a Discraft player, are you rooting for the Innova player no matter who they are? Pretty close. Pretty, pretty okay. close so you, to that. Maybe not entirely, but pretty close to that. I would say. So you have you have a little bit of that team aspect. Absolutely. Of where, of no, I definitely are... root for I definitely root for my teammates, but I, but I I'm not. I don't know that I've. Yeah, I just don't have that. Yeah. It's weird. I yeah. don't have I don't have that at all. I could I could care less what, and maybe that's a bad thing. I don't know. Yuli's the captain of of Discraft, so maybe he'll he'll punish me for saying this. But like, 
Well, that's why you're not the captain, my guy. <laughs> yeah, and that's why, and that's why Nate and myself are. But back to the prodigy thing, I was involved in that, and I fair think point, what it comes down, point. I think what it comes down to is the the team is trying to grasp a spot in the limelight of yes. disc golf. Yes, and mm. so when one of your teammates does pull through and beat, he beat monsters, and he beat monsters with a new team. And he did bring legitimacy to that company. Yes. And so I can't help but think that that was organic, that they were all like, yes, you did it. This is for all of us because it, in the grand scheme of things, it makes that brand more popular in That's that true. moment. That's true. And I think the same was somewhat true of Prodigy. It's like exactly. all these players took this risk. They're on this brand new company. And then first one to break through, it's kind of like, like, look, we're here. Like, this is this wasn't this wasn't just about money. This wasn't just about this is real discs. We're here. I guess it would just be interesting to see how this transpires because you just don't see it really in other sports, right? Mm. You don't you don't really say like, oh, well, who is he sponsored by? Oh, that's a Nike athlete. Sure. Like you see Nike, you see Nike go out and post about their athlete winning, but you don't really see too much about other Nike athletes being like, yay. Like yes. they just, you know, if they're friends with them, they're going to support, but it'll be interesting to see. And I might be the minority too of, of how I feel on that. But, um, all right, we're going to let you go here in a second. Cause I told you 30 minutes, but I have to ask, it's our favorite segment. Okay. Pet peeves. All oh, right. Yeah, I we saw some wanna... funny one with a B yeah, oh, okay. yeah. that, it was funny to some people. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> what are, what are your biggest pet peeves? right now in disc golf or maybe it's stuff that you've seen in the past since you have been playing, you know, for a while now. So anything jump out to you? Gosh. Um, I mean, it's kind of a, I feel like this is a really easy one, but Bluetooth speakers are way up there for me. Ooh. No, thank you. Like, uh, <laughs> don't, don't try to bring the music to the practice round. Not interested in that one bit. I'll, I'm like probably going to go as far as to say, can you please turn it off? Cause I'm just more about talking and listening and throwing and whatever. That's that dad life right there. Yeah. I'm That's not trying to listen life. to music. <laughs> I'll listen to music in the car, but I'm not trying to listen to music on the practice round. No. And, uh, and then another one that's that you run into every once in a while, uh, that I think is annoying is if people are like, they go OB and then they're like, yeah, we, you, they have their spot and they'll take their meter and be like, this meter, is this good? And you're like, Yeah that's that'll work like oh they're asking about the meter is this, a good, is this meter fine oh they're not asking about the spot they're no, asking about no, like they're is asking this... like is this meter <laughs> like are we good you good with this meter like yeah i'm fine uh, we're good like that kind of thing is a little like come on if man. i get a chance to play with you i'm busting out a ruler yeah and I'm, yeah, yeah i'm yeah. laying it down on yeah, the ground then, but still like, check with me still you good, check yeah with Nate, me. you is good this, with this is this legit meter here is is this ruler legitimate uh yeah. size ruler yeah 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 <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Um, I thought you were going a different way with that where it's like, someone's like, Oh no, my, my disc definitely crossed up here. And you're oh, like, Oh yeah, that, like, that's what? kind of inevitable. I think people gotta, people gotta <laughs> fight for their fight for their case, I guess. Oh, but that's a good one. Yuli, you got, you got the final question here. I do. I actually have two. The first one oh, is the first one is, is a question from you to like younger generation. And I feel like, out of all the people that I know, you are the most well-spoken as far as, man, you just sing to like this beautiful tune on commentary. <laughs> Even in this interview, you flow nicely. You're never fumbling your words. 
what would you give to like this generation? Cause I feel like they're not quite to that level yet. And what did you mm. do to get to this level? Was it just practice? Cause even myself, like I say the dumbest things ever, but I got like this comedic part to it to where I'm like, sure. Oh, I'm just stupid. Like my bad, <laughs> but like, y- you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, so yeah, what yeah. is it? I, I, I would love to say that I, that it, that it was like some practice thing, but I, I don't know. I think it's more just kind of a, a natural thing for me, um, to where like, you know, going back, like when I was in high school, it's like, Oh, we're giving speeches, you know, and other kids are like nervous or practicing their speech. I remember just being like, I didn't care what it would be about. I would just go up there and be like, okay. So I remember I did a speech about the rules of ultimate Frisbee. And you were supposed to keep it under eight minutes. And I remember they had to play me off. They had to be like, you know, at the Oscars when the guys go too long. <laughs> yeah. They had to be like, all right, that's enough about the rules. Like, cause I'm just up there, like I'm doing it. And, yeah. I, and I don't know, I guess I don't, I don't think that I, it was something I practiced, but I think it is something that has paid huge dividends for me. So I wouldn't say yep. don't practice it. If it's something that's hard for you, I think that it can be practiced. And I think that I've, sort of practiced it just by doing it at this point, all the commentary, all the interviews, all anything. And I think, uh, it can certainly open doors for you that would otherwise be closed. If you're, if you're See, able it's to just kind a of perfect answer, it's so annoying. Like, yeah. Hey, you're just coming through and just flowing through the yeah, question. See, and I, I just think, I mean, all that just kind of came to me as I was going, <laughs> I could have gone longer. Uh, I could have gone twice as long. <laughs> Put the Silas, put the music on. This guy's out of here. Get him out of here. (laughs) Um, Okay. Last thing is uh, on tour, you watch somebody play. Who are you looking at? And you're like, man, I wish I could play like that. That guy's nice with it. Oh my gosh. There's so many guys right now. But I mean, I guess first, the first guy that comes to mind is Calvin right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously he's just sick those backhands that he throws just full commitment under the ceiling, just always hit chains somehow from 400 feet. As far as I can tell, um, he's pretty sweet. And I, and I think I envy, I tend to envy like backhand dominant players more because that's like, for me, like throwing a forehand is not that impressive because that's like what I've been doing. So there's some yeah. people that impress me with a forehand, but in general, it's like when I watch Isaac Robinson or Calvin just dissecting with the backhand, I'm like, like when will I, I'll, when am I going to learn that? And probably never, but yeah. Perfect. All right. Awesome. Nate, we appreciate you taking the time. I know everyone listening and watching live with us really enjoys it. And uh, I feel like you're a, a massive gift, not just to, uh, the, the professionals that are out there to kind of have someone that can, uh, we can look to, but also I know as you know, a sport in general, you continue to help kind of push it forward. So I, I know we all appreciate everything that you do for disc golf and uh, look forward to having you back on at some point in time, whenever you want. Essentially. Sweet. So thanks guys. Thanks thank for the you kind so words. Much. I appreciate it. Have a lovely night. All right. That's Nate Sexton, ladies and gentlemen, uh, without further ado, we're, we got Emerson right now in the wings. So we're going to bring him in right now coming off an incredible finish and win in the OTB open. We talked about it earlier. He's with a new sponsor, Lone Star, putting them on the map early already in his first year. Emerson Keith, welcome to tour life. Thanks for coming on brother. How are you feeling? Really good. I mean, I obviously like got all the love from fans and people at home and I'm still getting that. So I think I'm still like, I still haven't come down from it yet. 
We got to play at Blue Ridge the final round. We did not play well the first two rounds, and we kind of talked a little bit just about like ah, our game's a little bit off. You ended up playing pretty solid that final round, and was like kind of feeling like momentum, like leaving the tournament. What it, what what did it feel like getting back in contention, like getting back into the mix of like oh snap, I can you know going into the final round of OTB, like I can win this thing. How did that feel? Uh, it was it felt really good and. I mean, I went through the the shoulder injuries. I mean, we played at Blue Ridge. I I was still dealing with not being able to throw sidearms at that tournament. Um, and then Jonesboro just kind of like I start I started to open up and be able to really throw that sidearm. So to get out there to Stockton and my practice rounds went perfect. I had I w- wasn't hindered at all. I was back to a hundred percent throwing max distance for my sidearm um, and. So just to be able to put all of it together for three rounds um, was very nice and gave me a lot of confidence. So I believe you shot four under on the first round and then followed that up with 12 under the second round. Was there anything that like clicked or changed between those two rounds? Um, I was, I was putting better the the second round. Um, the first round I let some go and uh, I went bogey bogey to finish the first round. So I played a lot better than, than what my score showed. I just let the two final holes get me. Gotcha. Um, all right. I got I got to ask this question. Was it the lucky shots that won you this tournament? Um, I don't think so. Um, if you look at any winner of any tournament at some point, they're going to have a lucky shot. And that's what I told myself when they happen, because I watch people do it every weekend Um, and I'm just like, finally, I'm the guy, like I got lucky there. So, so no, I, I, I think it was, was all my, it was all my good shots that won me the tournament. I mean, I birdied half the holes. Okay. So was it your idea to say the lucky shots in the, in the Lone Star commercial or was it Lone Star's idea? Who, 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 who it was definitely, it was definitely my idea. Okay. It was, (laughs) was we're just like, we're out there shooting the commercials and stuff and they got like this list of stuff to say. And we were kind of going through and picking. And I was like, I want that one because okay. when you get a lucky shot. There's nothing else like it. Like you just, you're just like, Oh, thank you. I, I think I deserve <laughs> that one. I just know. I saw, I saw that. And I was like, man, I wonder if he's going to say anything like during his interview or something about like, yeah, I played well out there, but you know, it was the lucky shots for me. That really, that really, I really should have said that, you know, I, <laughs> Yeah, I should have said that because I totally forgot about that uh, that commercial. Oh man, that that commercial—that's what I had to know. I was like, "Did you guys come up with it, or did they like say like Yuli, you're gonna say I just really like to do blah 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 blah?" Or if like I didn't know if you guys had uh, a say in the commercial or not. So that's that's interesting that you picked that one. I like that. Um, okay, if it's okay with you, I kind of want to run through a little bit of like the second part of your final round because I ended up going back and watching the coverage. I didn't get to watch live the whole round. I only got to watch live. Like I think the last two holes, but I kind of just want to run through these and just get an insight of like, what the heck is going on? And Yuli, I'm sure we'll jump into and have some ideas too. hole nine. Were, were you, when the disc came out of your hand, were you nervous about it having the, enough height to get through those reads when it first came out? Or did you feel like that was, 
Cause that's such a scary shot going right. over the water with the backhand. Right. What, what, what were your thoughts going on when that disc left your hand? So when it left my hand, I, I knew immediately it was going to be short, how short it was. I was not ready for it. It like the, so sometimes tailwind like carries your disc. Sometimes it drops it. Um, previous rounds it had, it had carried it. Um, so I definitely didn't want to go out of bounds long cause I knew Aaron was probably going to lay up his putt just the scenario. Like I thought he was going to lay it up. So I was just, pl- I was playing it for par. Mm. So I was just trying to put it into bounds and it came out a little bit low, but I was like, you know what? That's okay. I mean, these thoughts are happening like in milliseconds cause, yep. but there's so much you can think about while the disc is in the air. It's kind of crazy. So Wait, are you talking about the right hole? Or are you talking about 10 or nine? Oh, I might be talking Bro. about 10. Yeah, you're talking about no. 10. Well, we can jump oh, to 10. We can I jump know which one you're talking about. We can jump ten, to 10 nine. actually yeah. cuz that's that 10 is also the other one too where essentially what you're talking about ha- yeah, it, it was almost kind of the same shot, but you yeah. got like a ridiculous reaction on the ground that right. then just like kind of shot it up on the path, right? right? So when you say lucky shots, I was thinking more of that one. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, that was kind of like a really good reaction of where it's like, it's kind of a coin flip of if it, is it going to go in the water if it's not, you know? Yeah. So, so that I'm talking more about 10, I guess. Um, I yeah, yeah, that's fine. You can keep going there. with, you can keep going with 10. That's fine. Yeah. So I just, I thought it was going to be just short where I just have a jump putt. Um, but it's the tailwind slowly started to drop it. And then at that point I was scared because it, if it would have just dropped even like, a little bit more, I would have never crossed. I would have had to re-tee, like a re-tee. which yeah. I had to do the, in the first round Ooh. in the first round, I had to re-tee and I saved the four on that hole. So wow. I was wow. not ready to have to try and do it again. So I was very nervous about halfway through the flight when it started to drop. Did you think goose was going to lay up his putt there? I was, I was confident that he was going to lay up his putt. Cause I, I mean, he was making putts, but I mean, it was pretty windy out there. Like in my head, I was like, this guy would be just cold blooded to run this right now. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think that now, if it would have been like Ricky or somebody yeah. that has ran those putts for years, I might've been like, Ooh, I think Ricky's got the birdie. Um, but I thought we were kind of playing chess and I didn't think that he was going to run that putt. So yeah, because he had a two he had a two shot lead at that he had a two shot lead at that point. So I think right. he probably I didn't think felt he would good do moving to forward. That two shot lead, especially if I laid up before him. So now we're moving on to hole eleven, which you know after having that scare on hole ten, right, where you probably were just like took a deep breath. Okay, I I got par. Whew. Now you're on hole eleven. You kind of early release it off into oh, the left and, and end up hitting the tree and going OB. And then you end up taking a bogey, which honestly, from where you were, that's about as good. I mean, that's literally about as good as you can possibly go. Did that, do you think like that calmed the nerves a little bit taking that or did that amplify like, Holy crap. Like goose is now maybe starting to pull away a little bit. He did miss a putt there inside the circle, but where where were you going after that? Did that, did that help the nerves or did that kind of elevate them a little bit? Um, so as soon as I threw it, OB, I was like, just talking, I was kind of thinking to myself, I was like, dang it, dude, you, 
you just handed away the tournament. Um, oh. And that hole has given me troubles over the years because I don't like to throw right because I have to connect pretty, like I have to connect really good to get it over the water and in a spot for birdie. So my play is to just go left and then throw the forehand around the trees and then hopefully make a 40 footer. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean just a little bit of a mental lapse and I early released it, um, not trying to go in the water or anything. Uh, but I think the, my recovery shots put pressure on Aaron in the sense of he was thinking about how, like, I feel like he was maybe counting his strokes in his head and he made the putt. He gave him, made more pressure on himself to make that putt because of the amount of strokes he was counting in his head. Mm. Like, Oh, if I can get two on him right here, like there's this many holes. Like I feel like he was counting the mm. strokes Ver- in his head. Versus just maybe playing playing the, cor- the the hole to you know by himself, he was kind of thinking if I birdie right. this, this is giving me another stroke on Emerson. Interesting, right? Um, all right, we're gonna. What, f- oh, wait, go ahead, real you. quick. At, at what point did you ever? Were you ever checking live scoring to see what Gannon was doing? Mm. And and then if you were, at what point did you do that? Because Aaron had told Brody that he had done it pretty early. And I think that's when the pressure kind of arose too, because not only did he have to worry about you, but now there's a, a score that's being posted in those conditions that ultimately, I mean, 21 under is what he ended up posting. And when did you see that number? And what did you think moving forward? Right. So through the front nine, I wasn't really worried because I believe I was like five down through the front nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, you know what? That's, a, that's a really good pace. You had some strokes on these guys. Like I don't, I don't need to look, I just need to keep playing. And then it was after I had the, like two, the three stroke swing with, with Aaron. Um, I asked Ari, my caddy, I said, um, am I tied? And she said, no, you're winning. And I was like, yeah. I was like, what? I thought, it, no, no, I was, I was too far back. Like, I, th- I think I just tied it up. So I ended up looking there and that's when I saw that Gannon was doing what he was. Um, but I can't remember what I exactly, what the number was I was at. I think I was at 22 after that, when I looked, cause I believe I only, I birdied 15 after that. Mm-hmm. Um, to get to 23. So it was very close with Gannon. Um, and I was aware yeah. from, um, I think it was 13 is when I was aware of what Gannon was doing. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of, that's a different type of pressure, especially with this course, how the course plays at the end, like someone submitting a score and saying, you have to now beat this. It's a different, I feel like it's a different pressure than, you know, going head to head with the person currently on your card where it's like, you kind of know like, Oh man, now I, now I have to shoot this. This is the score, but we're going to jump to hole 15. You did mention that you buried it. How scared were you? Were you able to see that you were safe? Cause it did get a really bad reaction off the hill and got up and started rolling towards that OB green. Could you see that it settled down or are you walking up there? Not knowing if you're in or not. 
I had no idea, and I'm glad you said that it was a, ba a bad reaction because I thought that I hung the disc out wide enough and hit low enough on that hill that I was just going to get like the half skip and the curl up by the basket. I thought I threw it perfect. Mm -hmm. So I, I was pumped, and then I started seeing it roll, and then I saw it like like I'm sure you all have seen this when the disc does a circle on a green versus doing it on the grass. Mm. The disc circled like it was on the green, and I was like, no way did that go out of bounds because I thought I did all the work. I thought I threw it perfect. And uh, so I thought I was out of bounds even when uh, Aaron was throwing his tee shot. Oh, I was like, I need geez. to save this par. I already I got myself ready for it to be out of bounds. Yeah. Mm. And then you went up, cashed it. Uh, I don't know if you watched the coverage. Yuli can talk a little bit about this. The spot that you guys, the spot that you guys gave Aaron, I saw it felt like you did not want to give him that spot, but Cole was kind of adamant of like, no, I think you're up here. And Aaron, it seemed like Aaron was just kind of like, tell me where it is. And and yeah. Cole was kind of pushing the, no, I think you're way up here. That disc rolled backwards. It stayed inbounds the whole way. And then at the very, very end, it rolled backwards. But I could see how you guys might have thought it had rolled. I mean, I think there should have been a spotter on that hole. And I think hopefully they make that change because it is a really good hole. But Yuli, you saw the same thing too, right? Like he should have been 15, 20 feet further back than the spot he ended up getting on 15. No, absolutely. It definitely rolled a bit farther. And I thought that could have been a turning point in the tournament yeah. as well because of the good spot you guys gave him. Then he finally knocks down a circle one putt. You yeah. know, that's like a momentum changer right there because now all of a sudden he's missed all these putts in a row. He knocks down a clutch putt and then moving forward, maybe that gives him the confidence. Ultimately didn't happen, but I thought that that was a little a little lenient on your guys' part for were sure. You, were you pushing back at all? Were you wanting to have him go further back? Uh, no, not really because, I mean, Cole was like, I think it rolled straight out and I was... I was so in the zone. I was pretty like in my head. I'm just like, yeah, let's get this over with and move on so I can make my putt. Like mm. I was only thinking about where my disc was rather than where he could have possibly gone out. So I kind of just listened to the two more unbiased guys on the card um, and kind of removed myself emotionally from the decision on put it, giving him a spot. Cause of course, if I, if I knew I would have been like, I would have fought for it if I knew at the time, but I'm kind of glad that I didn't fight for like a few feet that I at the time thought was it because I didn't put any emotion or energy into giving him a spot. I was able to just stay calm and think about my putt. That's, that's good. Yeah. Cause sometimes that happens, right. Where you're like, no, you need to be here. And then you kind of get outvoted on and then you get almost yeah. this little bit like pissed off feeling of like, well, what the heck yeah, is so you unfair. Like, you, feel yeah. like, you feel like you're being cheated at that point. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it happens all the time, but that's, that's just the downfall of us being our own referees. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right. So now after this whole situation with 15, you're going into arguably, I mean, Yuli, would you agree? Some of the, one of the best finishing 16, 17, 18s on tour. Like it's, it's definitely in the top of just what could happen. I can't think of a better finish, honestly, on, on tour. Like I mean, Jonesboro is awesome. 16, 17, 18, but like, gosh, I mean, 17 no, is a monster. 16 is a monster. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a best, it's a best earn your tournament stretch that, that we have 
as See, far as quality of, of holes as, and, and as far as like, if you throw perfect shots there, 17 is a great hole. That's the only one where I would say, okay, sometimes you can get a bad reaction with a good shot and go out of bounds, but they left the grass so thick so that thick, if you yeah. threw, if you threw a, a good shot, like short and right thing wasn't going left and it wasn't bouncing back. And so I hope they keep it that way. Cause if they mow that grass then you're going to have all kinds of crazy reactions of those things bouncing way off left or bouncing forward, bouncing out. And so with that one critique, I hope they leave that. It's, it's the best, it's the best finishing stretch that we got. So you're walking up to hole 16, a very challenging tee shot, two shot lead. Are you now changing anything game plan wise in your head? Are you like, all right, two shots. If I, if I par out, I'm going to win this tournament. What's going on in your head? Or are you just sticking to the game plan that you had at the beginning of the day? Yeah, I was sticking to my game plan. I was, I was trying to like, I was trying to finish out the tournament and like no questions asked, like you're winning. I was trying to birdie that hole. Wow. I was, I was trying to throw the same tee shot, the same up shot. Cause I like, you can change your game plan on some courses but I feel like with that being the hardest stretch, if I did anything other than what I was planning on doing all week, that I could have messed that up easier than the game plan I had practiced through. I mean, four, six times up to that, that round, that final shot on that hole, mm. final tee shot on that hole. And I already thrown it six different times in practice rounds and stuff. So essentially you hit, you hit the tree, you drop, and now you're basically from there. You're just trying to get to the landing zone that you wanted to get to off your tee shot, which you successfully did. Right. And then I think the shot of the tournament was that next shot. The fact that you were able to put yourself in a position, because if I'm in Aaron's spot right there and I see you hit the first tree, I'm thinking this guy's about to take a number on this hole. And if I can just get a par, I can maybe get, you know, get some strokes on him and you end up making a ridiculous par save on 16. How, how are you feeling after that? I mean, you, you gotta be thinking at that point in time, okay, it is my tournament to lose. Yeah. So kind of when I'm now that I'm like looking back on it, I can, I can say that when I was on 16, I had three more steps to take to win the tournament. It was a par on that hole, a par on 17 at a tee shot on 18. Mm-hmm. So I was just trying to take these three steps, just slowly and carefully and confident. Um, and then I hit that tree and I was like, I, I was obviously mad. I mean, I, I punched my, I gave like a, a punch in my hands. Um, but I sat down and I was like, okay, you can still, you like, you just fell. It's not like I kicked OB or anything. I was like, you just fell. You're just, you're one shot back of what your practice was. You just need to throw to the landing zone, throw to circle's edge, and then just, you need to make the putt. Mm. So I just followed out the game plan from there and then fin- then got to 17. So I only had two more steps left, felt a little bit closer through the tee shot, through the up shot, was done with that. And then it wasn't until the, when I threw the tee shot on 18 that I feel like I had locked it up. We got to talk about that. Yuli thoughts on his T Sean 18. Madman. Two, two, two ways Mad to play. Man. Two Mad ways to play. You can do that shot 
Or like he's saying, I, I feel like we know where his mind is now. He had to play it the same way he played it the, the whole time, and that and that was the recipe for success. I mean, if I'm in that situation, I'm dissecting that hole to get a bogey. But I wasn't in but, that situation. But here's, I mean, here's the reason. Like, trust me, I I've thought I thought about every way I could have played the hole. I was like forehand up the middle, yeah. backhand up the middle, flex shot down the right side, uh, forehand hyzer, and I was like, you didn't practice any of those. This hole is so hard. You like, why would I chance? I'd rather mess it up doing something that I practiced all week. I didn't practice any of those other shots. So I didn't think that that was the time to even mess around and try them. And and the thing, why I think that hole in hole 17, like these holes, why they're so good. 16, 17, 18, why they're so good is literally what you're talking about right now you did not have an easier way. There's not an easier shot in 18 because like you said, you could easily be like, okay, well, I'm just going to try to throw like a forehand up the middle. You still have to hit the gap. Your angle could be off and you could like have it, you know, uh, skip into the, the, the crap on the right. Like there's not like, there's not an easy way of just being like, oh, I'm just going to jump, putt, jump, putt, jump, putt, take my bogey and win the tournament. And, uh, you know, the fact that you stepped up there, ripped that back in, you probably wanted a little bit of a better lie for your second shot. You're like pinched Definitely. right I up against the tree. Of, I was not aware of how far I actually threw it because I didn't watch it. I just, I, I felt it out of my hand. I saw it for the first, like maybe 80 feet of its flight. And I said, let's go to myself. And I just, I turned around. I was like, a, I felt like a MJ for once oh, okay. like, i don't think i've ever done it i don't think i've ever turned away from a shot but i turned away from that one um i didn't realize i was that close so when i got up there against the tree i was like well i guess i still have to earn it from here yeah and you and you end up throwing a great shot laid up tapped in and get the w which um you know someone you know you were one of the first people uh, first persons i or first perfect what you're one of the first pros I interacted with in disc golf and seeing kind of just like your work ethic, how, I mean, you hold the record for like most tournaments played in a year that you are the epitome of like a grinder, someone that's willing to go out there and put in the work. And, you know, I think this tournament, not an easy tournament to win by any means. It's not like a, Oh, my game was just good. And I got more birdies than everyone else. You were going to have bad shots you're going to have to like deal with taking bogeys, making mistakes, figuring it, hitting first available, throwing OB and uh, you pulled it off at the end. And, you know, I, I know there was a lot of people out there that were really excited to see you take the, the W down. Yeah. So I do want to explain um, my thought process on the approach shot on 18, because I, I know a bunch of people have been talking about, like a bunch of different ways to play it. So I want to kind of explain what was going through, through my head to, to let everyone know what I was thinking. For so, sure. so no one plays out any more scenarios. <laughs> um, so I'm standing up to the shot and I'm looking at this layup. I'm looking at just like putting it like just, just a little layup, which would leave an easy hyzer. I told myself, I said, I don't want to lay up and have an easy hyzer that because the, it, like I've already told myself it's an easy hyzer. Mm. How like that almost makes it easier to mess up. So if I lay up and go OB, 
I bring I could bring double bogey into play if I lay up and go OB. But with it, I think they on that hole, that little sliver that goes into the green should Great be design. It should you be know, taken. You don't like it. Oh, okay. I think it be it should be taken out because it made my decision easier than it should have been. Because mm. I just threw the hyzer. I like where it went out to the right side was over halfway through that walkway. Okay. So, so it was a, it was a safer like, shot than if there was a gap there of OB. Definitely. Like mm. if it was just an island over there. Okay. Cause I could just, I could throw it and I cross closer than just laying up and then I lay up and take the bogey and I, I win. Mm. If, yeah. it was, if it was not OB there, or I mean, if, yeah, if there was no OB there and it was an island, right? Like there was nowhere to cross. It's just, I essentially cross where I should have laid up to. Mm-hmm. Then I have to throw that shot. It makes that patent pending shot a lot more scary. Yeah, that actually makes sense. And that might be something they end up changing a little bit. Uh, Yuli, what are your thoughts on them kind of making that final shot where it's like you don't really get bailed out if you throw a bad tee shot going in there? No, I totally agree with what he's saying, um, which is what I kind of mentioned when I was doing the post commentary is that like the shot you have to miss left, but he's going over inbounds the whole way. So there's essentially like, you'd really have to mess up to, to, um, double bogey from, from that spot. I thought you made the right decision by not laying up because by laying up, you bring bogey, double bogey in, into play. So I thought you played it out perfect from that spot. All right, so we're going to get a little more serious here, Emerson, because I, I want to give you the opportunity because when I did ask questions of like, hey, we have Emerson coming on, what do you guys want to know? I saw some comments, whether they're fair or not fair, um, and I want to just give you the opportunity, if you want, to kind of clear up the air. There yeah. was some sort of uh, situation in the past with you doing like online form reviews, and some oh, people yeah. seem to kind of get, uh, you know, there were stories out there of you basically uh, not giving the form review that someone had paid for. And then, you know, how kind of Reddit can kind of get out of control sometimes where people oh, start definitely. jumping on the bandwagon. Absolutely. I just wanted to kind of give you the opportunity um, because there were some people that were maybe upset that you won and they use that example for their reasoning. So I just want to give you the floor to, you know, if you have anything to say on the, on that regards. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so I'll kind of explain the situation from, from my end. Um, I will say first that like all the, I guess you would say hate that I'm getting from it. Um, I, I think that it's totally deserved because I did do something very immature and I was, and like, it was, it was messed up. I sh- like I shouldn't have let it ever happen. So now I'll tell kind of my side what 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 happened. Uh, so I had people asking for video lessons, um, and I wasn't sure when I was going to do it or how I was going to do it. So I kind of just like stumbled into it mm. and started getting people like on a list. Just told them told them to. Uh, I think they signed like. I can't remember if it was through Facebook or Instagram um, where these people were coming to me, but I was directing them to my email to send me the video and, and all that for me to watch and send an email back with a, another video. And it, it got crazy. 
I was not ready for the amount of people that I let sign up for it and just the, just everything that goes with it, keeping up, making sure like, Oh, this person sent their video. So like there was times where I've gone through some videos. I didn't see anything in my email and I was like, well, that's weird. Maybe they just haven't sent their videos yet. So some of these videos were late or they, or they, some of them even sent it just back to the Instagram. So things got very confusing on my end. So I did not know what to do. I didn't know how to handle it. I was, I was young and stupid. So I kind of just forgot about it in a sense. Mm. So I missed, I missed emails. Um, I missed Instagram messages and then one day it kind of just blew up in my face. And I mean, there was nothing I could do to fix it. And to this day, even though I've tried to fix it, I put a statement out on Reddit of that. I'm sorry. If this happened to you, reach out to me. I would love to make things right. Um, I've followed through with lessons for people. I paid some people back. Some people have never reached out. But I mean, that's, that's kind of what happened. And I mean, I don't think it'll ever go away because people like to hold grudges or whatnot. Yep. But I mean, for anyone listening, if this happened to you, I, I really am sorry. And I was young and immature. And all I can say is that I'm sorry and I'm doing better now. Yeah. And, and, and the times, the times that I've spent with you, you've, you've been nothing but kind to me and, and showed me a lot of respect. So I didn't, I didn't actually know how it went down or what ended up happening. Um, but it does make sense in the, you know, you got kind of in over your head a little bit, it sound like, and did you handle the situation the way it should have been? No, but, um, to be able to come on here and say what you did, I respect that. And, uh, hopefully, hopefully other people out there can, can hear, your response and for, you know, forgive you and move on. And, uh, I'm not saying we should not be held, uh, accountable. I think all of us should be held accountable, oh, but, at the same, but at the same I mean, time, I, we, we need to be able to like make mistakes and move on from them, you know? Yeah. If I they mean, are hearing, if they are hearing on this podcast, is there a spot that they, they can email you? Maybe they got lost in translation. Is there a spot that they can email you or send you a message on Instagram so that you can make those things right? Um, if it's been, I mean, it's been years now. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I would say at least two years. Okay. I believe so. I, I mean, I could be wrong. And if I am wrong, I'm sure people are going to let me know. Um, but yes, if there, if there is anybody out there that, that hasn't settled up with me on this matter, I, I would love to make it right because that's not the person that I am. It's not the person that, that I want to be. I mean, I, I live with this all the time. I, there's, I see comments all the time. People comment on my stuff, mm-hmm. other people's stuff. I mean, I saw comments after me winning, like maybe he can pay people back now. Um, and I, I just think to myself, like, man, are there really, are there people out there that, that I didn't get right with? And that bothers me because I, I mean, there's going to be people that don't like me for, for just for whatever reason. But if it's because something that I did like like scamming people like i don't want that to be one of the reasons because that's not who i am and that's not what i set out to do when i started those videos so if if i haven't settled up with somebody and they're listening please please contact me um however you see fit um preferably instagram 
because I, I see more of those messages than anything. Um, and I would, I would love to make things right. You don't have to be a fan of mine anymore, but, um, I would still like to make things right. Yeah. And hopefully moving forward, people, you know, the, the, the people that maybe had uh, a negative view on you, uh, can kind of put that in the past and, and, and move on because, I, I know it probably would have, it probably sucked to have one of your best disc golf achievements and then seeing people in the comments saying stuff like that. Um, it's not fun. So hopefully we can all kind of move on. And with that being said, let's move on to another question. Uh, a little bit of a lighter one. A lot of people out there, uh, hashtag short Kings, if you will want to know how the heck do you generate the power that you do? Oh, um, I, I honestly <laughs> don't know. Um, I mean, I've, I've been a smaller kid my whole entire life. So I've had to just kind of make it happen when it comes to sports. And I mean, I grew up playing hockey. I was never the biggest one, but I always found a way to keep up with everybody. So I think watch like when I grew up playing disc golf, I saw these people throw far and no one had old had ever told me like, you can't do this because you're small or no one's ever told me that. So I'm growing up with this mindset of, Oh, I need to throw far. Like I need to throw far. Like these guys, like watching Paul and Ricky, when I'm just like 13 or 14 years old, I'm like, man, I need to throw that far so I can be like, so I can compete with them. So I can like birdie all these long holes. So I, I kind of taught myself how to throw that far without realizing I wasn't supposed to throw that far being my size. <laughs> well, you, you, you laughed like that one. Uh, that, you felt that one a little bit. <laughs> Who me? Man, yeah. hey, I'm old, bro. Come on. <laughs> you ain't been around long enough. Man. That, I used that, to one send that one hit home. That one hit home. That thing, buddy. <laughs> but there are, there are definitely like a lot of, like a lot of people that have messed, like I've seen comments and messages like, Oh, take one for the W for the short guys or something like that. Or people telling me like, Oh, I'm such a fan of yours because like we're the same size and it just shows that someone same size as me can throw this far and do all these things. It gives me hope. Hmm. Um, someone, someone told me they were like, you're like their leader. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> I thought that it was so funny. Um, because when all these people are coming up to me, it's like, wow, I, I give so many people like hope and inspiration that they can be professional disc golfers, even though they're not as tall as Gannon Burr or Calvin Heimberg or Eagle, like they're, they're half, they're literally half their size, it seems like, but, uh, I give them hope that they can still do it. That's awesome. I gotta know how the heck do you play in glasses coming from someone that's also blind <sighs> I play in contact. How the heck do you play in glasses? What, I don't what, like what it. And you see me like, you see me moving them up all the time in coverage. Like I'll be putting and I'll be like, oh, and I'll move them up. Like I do not like it at all, but my eyes hate contacts even more. Ooh. So my eyes just get like bloodshot red and like they, they want nothing to do with contacts. I've tried them before. So I kind of just have to roll with the glasses. If, if there's a glasses, 
company or you work for a glasses <laughs> company out there and you're listening, I would love something that stays on my nose and doesn't slide down to here so you can't even see my eyes. Give him the goggles. Subscription goggles, baby. Yeah, yeah. give him the goggles, baby. Yeah. Yeah. He used to wear the goggles. Spectacles. No. We want to see spectacles. He used to wear the goggles. I will wear like a one-eye like monocule or whatever <laughs> that's called before I wear the goggles. Oh, man. If you showed up with goggles, you strap them on. I'm here ready to go. Gosh, that would be that would be awesome. I don't awesome. even want to know the memes. Speaking right, uh, of, speaking yeah. of uh real quick of throwing far, it looked like I played with you in uh OTB in a practice round and you were throwing it way farther this tournament than you were then. Is there such thing as tournament power and were you feeling it and is that why you almost threw it will be on 18? <laughs> so I I felt like when I was playing the practice rounds, I was like, man, I feel like I'm missing like 40 to 50 feet on my throw right now. And it felt like that round one, I slowly got it back round two. And then round three in the practice before the tournament or before the round, I threw a couple, I threw some like an extra, like 10 shots in the warm up field because I knew on some of those holes, I was going to need the extra distance that day. So I was trying to figure it out before the round and something just clicked and i was like whoa there it is like can we please just carry that into the round so i felt like i had <laughs> every bit of power if not a little bit more on that final round uh, you were you were smoking that thing all right uh you might have heard you i think you might have heard a little bit with nate sexton but we always like to ask people before they head out their biggest pet peeves in disc golf something that really tickles their fancy so anything jump out at you of where you're just like, ah, not a fan of that. Um, Besides form reviews. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. all right. I deserve that one. I deserve that one. Um, I would say, and I've been guilty of this before also, a bad shot getting a bad result and then being very mad at it. Oh. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it kicked that way. Like, bro, you shanked it that way and it continued to kick farther that way like, like we're, all, we're all guilty of it but when it's not you and someone else is doing it it is so annoying yeah if you do it multiple times you just start saying that you're the unluckiest player ever yeah, and and, like, and well. oh we oh we 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 might have lost some i'm not sure if you'll pop in here oh well well, if he does come back, we'll finish it out. But if not, that is Emerson Keith coming off his latest victory at OTB Open. I got to say, his performance playing-wise, great. His answer to that question, I think also he did a great job um, yeah. to, to kind of deal with... Uh, you know, some of the, some of the controversy that has been around, you know, some of the stuff he's done in the past. So, Listen, uh, we get, all make mistakes. Yeah. We all make mistakes. Part of being an adult is you're going to make a ton of them period. Mm -hmm. You're not going to make perfect decisions all the time, but also part of being an adult is accepting responsibility, which he did. And that's all you can do. Yep. All right. With that being said, we have Paige ready to go. Back-to-back -back OTB Open champion, Paige Pierce, telling everyone, I haven't gone anywhere. I think that's what something she's kind of said in one of her uh, pre-round pre interviews. 
Paige Pierce back to tour life. Paige, welcome back. Thanks for coming back on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. How, uh, where are you at right now? Are you back home? Yes, I am. I took a 5.45 a.m. flight the day after OTB Open back okay. home. Emerson, we saw each other at the OTB shop, and we were both headed home very soon after the tournament. So, Gotcha. Uh, you plan is to stay home until Portland Open. Is that the the goal the the next stop for you yeah port stop i have uh i think it's a so doing a bunch of pt and uh yeah just practicing getting the putt feeling good getting um some reps in with some new molds or um just like different plastics of molds and and getting the just feeling good going into portland and flying out the sunday before the event so i'll have like four days five days of practice before the event nice nice um what was what was the mind because i feel like obviously we've talked about this a little bit when you came on before how some people have taken what you have said in posts or in interviews the wrong way or out of context what was the mindset going into this tournament? It happens often and it's 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 a it's a new thing in disc golf. Like I I've, I've been on tour for 14 years. Like I feel like one of the one of the people that's been on tour longer than me is Yuli, but not many more than that. Like I've been on tour for 14 years and um it didn't used to be like it's like you know, either pick it picked apart or like they deconstruct to like some of what you say and like turn it into a different narrative. And, um, I was having even friends of mine, uh, being like, what the heck, what are they talking about? Like, um, and so like I was off of Instagram and Facebook and all social media for uh, an entire year. Um, I had an assistant that was kind of telling me, Hey, this is what's going on. Do we want to address this? And, and I was just, it wasn't a good place for me to be in. Um, so I was just kind of ignoring it, but I, I came to the point where like so much was being said about me that I wasn't addressing that I was like, okay, I need to get back on this. Like, like this is what's going on with me, like, and not letting people talk about what's going on with me, but me talk about it. And so, yeah, that was kind of like a big, a big point for me in the tournament was just like, Hey, I don't know what you think that I don't want to win, but you are completely mistaken. And like, I, I wouldn't be competing if I didn't want to win. Like, I'm not just there to have a good time or to throw hyzers. Like I'm trying to birdie every hole or Eagle every hole. Um, and so that was like, uh, you know, that was a huge motivating factor for me to, to come out and, perform as best as I could and, and show people that, you know, <laughs> that's the whole reason I'm playing is to win. Yeah. I, I think, think it's so. like, uh, Oh, sorry. No, no, I'll go. Go, um, no, I think one of the big, the big problem, it's not even a problem. It's just disc golf is getting to the point where now you're going to have sports analysts or even just Joe Schmoes coming in and dissecting everything about your game, especially being, you know, Mm -hmm. the person to beat your multiple world champion. I mean, 
it happened like that even uh, more so to like Paul Macbeth. He has a bad tournament and they just go at him. You know what I mean? And they, and they, and they just take the things that he's done and they put a, they completely put that to the side and it's what have you done for me lately? And I experienced with myself when I've missed cash like eight times in a row and people are like, you shouldn't even play. Like you're not even trying and blah, 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 blah. If you know me personally, like that's all I do is try. Like I'm out there exactly what you said. And I'm trying to birdie every single hole. Like that's what you do as athletes, but it comes with the territory. You know what I mean? As the sport grows more eyes on it and people are going to dissect everything about you from even the things that you said or the things that you say, which is crazy to me too, because now we have to like speak. There's no longer speaking in riddle riddles. You have to be like completely serious with what you're saying, Mm -hmm. um, articulate about it because people will misconstrue that to the point of where you're like, wait, what? That's, that's not what I said. And to, to add to that too, Paige, I think one of the reasons you are so liked is how real and open you are about the feelings and emotions that you go through. But the problem with doing that is by telling people that you now have people that can take those emotions and feelings and take them out of context or make them, you know, make the narrative that they want to make of what you actually really mean, or there's an underlying issue. Cause I know you did mention at one point, you said something along the lines of like winning isn't, um, as important as it used to be. But to me, what you really were saying is like, I am now making sure I'm focusing on other areas of my life as well, which ultimately I think when you all have stuff at, at home, like when you have everything at home going well, I feel like it's easier to go out and play better versus if you've got stuff, you know, health issues or family issues or relationship issues or whatever, it's sometimes hard to go out on the, on the course and play well. So I think maybe some people got that misconstrued because you've never really, you've never really come off to me as like someone that's just like willy nilly. I don't care. Right. I don't think you win as much as you have yeah, in the I past. Mean, if you have that mindset. Too, when I gave that. Right. Right. And honestly, too, when I gave that interview, that the one that they're misquoting me from, is from chance cup and where i won the tournament and i just kind of was feeling this and this was because it was in my life at that moment like my my dad stepmom and little brother who at the time was 13 years um had just come to pensacola to visit me and um my dad was having conversations with my little brother with me present about like you know, what do you want to do in high school? What are you going to, what are your mates want to marry and what college do you want to go to? It doesn't, it, all that matters is when you just got to win. And that hit me hard as someone that is eating and trying to win, but also sometimes winning and losing and how, you know, when it hasn't been, Yes, it has propelled me into a career where I am financially stable at this point, but it hasn't like uh, winning one tournament hasn't made me a happy human over. And so I'm just trying to like kind of be this middle ground between my 53 year old dad and my 13 year old brother of like, Hey, Mm. I understand where dad's coming. Also, Ethan, like if you don't 
when you still things and still can have a successful life and a life that, and it was just something where like, it felt so personal to me that like winning isn't everything. Yes. It's great. It's an, it's an amazing feeling. You feel accomplished. You feel like, you feel like everything you've been doing has, has been purposeful, um, and that you've taken and every putt that you've putted has, has meant something, but if you don't win, it doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean like you're any less important or like anything. So I was just kind of, that's, that's where I was coming from. And all of a sudden now people think I don't care about disc golf and it just, um, it, it sucks sometimes because it's like, I'm, I'm just trying to be as open as honest and as honest as I possibly can be in any given moment. And, um, how that, how that can be misconstrued and, and, uh, yeah, just, just turned around it. it it's really crazy, but you know, it's, it's also at the same time, it's really cool because that's how big it took off is getting that we're yeah. kind of becoming like, there's almost like a TMZ, you know, there's kinds of stuff going on with disc golf so at the same time it it's kind of cool i guess i, I will say for the majority not for majority but i would say there are probably a lot of people that are are grateful that the T- tmz is not infiltrated disc golf as of right now um but uh yeah that's, that's <laughs> that is something that as as the sport grows there are going to be more and more people that know who you are want to talk about what's going on on the course off the course all those things are going to come up and it's just growing pains, right? It's just, it's a part of the, you know, being right. a, a top level athlete, it's just a, a part of what you have to deal with. And it sucks sometimes, but also the good things that come from it should hopefully outweigh the things that suck. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's whenever it's, you, Whenever mm-hmm. you become an at, like a good athlete, you're automatically, and this didn't happen before because disc golf was such a tight knit group that there was nothing but love for the most part. There was like random times where you'd get that stuff, but now, you know, it's to the point where automatically, as soon as you're put on the TV, you're dehumanized mm-hmm. from the watcher period. And this happens with me. I watch sports all the time. I watch the NBA finals or not finals, semifinals. And I'm just like, you're trash, bro. Like, how can you not make that? You know what I mean? And the way things that I'm saying to this person who's a real person, you know, I'm feeling these emotions about this person who I've never met. And I'm just like, how do you not make that layup? Like I can make that layup and I can totally see where that's coming to us. And that just comes with the territory, even though it's hard when I look at the comments in my Instagram and I see people just trashing me. That's one of the things that I go back to is like, yeah, but I'm in a position where you're able to trash me. This is a good spot for me, you know, and try to take, not take it as serious, but it's still hurtful. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess the question is what would you rather have no one leaving you any comments or having a bunch of positive comments mixed in with a couple negative ones. Right. That's kind of, that's kind of where we're at a little bit. Um, Paige, I just looked up last time we talked to you was at the open at Austin coming off the win there. Um, it looks like you, you know, didn't obviously have great finishes at the next two events, music city open and champions cup. But that I think has a lot to do with your injury. How is that injury now? Are you like, did you feel like your old self as far as health wise at this tournament this week, uh, this past week? 
Yeah, I absolutely did. It was, uh, I took 12 days off between Champions Cup. I didn't throw, so that Sunday I threw, obviously, in the event. And then starting that Monday, I didn't throw for 12 days leading into OTB. Um, and I did two dry needling sessions, four PT appointments, and then a couple appointments with Seth um, with Disc Golf Strong. And so um, going into practice rounds, I wasn't sure how it was going to go, um, but it went well. And, you know, like practice rounds, you guys know, like you're throwing five, six, seven, eight shots per hole, trying to figure mm -hmm. out what disc you're going to throw, reworking, like also getting, getting the travel out of you, getting mocked out of me. Um, so I was, and I was feeling good and champions cup. Also, I was feeling good for like five, six holes. And then like middle of the round is when it started getting pain. Um, so like that's around the time where I was like, okay, how am I feeling? Oh, I'm still feeling good. Okay. And then like 12 holes in, I'm still feeling good. It's the round still feeling good. Awesome. Um, so when I got through a practice round, I kind of, I, I was hopeful, but like, didn't want to get too excited that, that I was going to be okay. Cause if I'm the one shot practice or a, a one shot tournament round, um, but I didn't want to get too hopeful yet, but yeah, I kind of felt like, okay, if I can get through practice, I'm, I'm golden. Um, and yeah, I was, I, I felt completely pain-free and I don't know if it was rest or PT or drying or what, but, um, or, or the combination. Um, but I kind of told myself like, you know, let's just continue to do all of that moving forward so we can keep getting stronger. And, uh, my PT did tell me that like, you know, getting through the injuries one thing, but then through it, like we need to strengthen those muscles so it doesn't happen again. And, uh, so I actually went to PT on Monday. I, I landed at 4 PM or sorry, Tuesday. I landed at 4 PM on Monday day at 9 AM had a PT appointment. I was pain-free and like before I left, when I was in pain, we were doing like three pound weights. Like I'm laying on my side and like just doing this like 20 reps of this. And now I tell him I'm not in pain and I got a 15 pound weight doing that. Ooh. So he went pretty hard on me. Um, but I feel good. I, I, I don't feel any flare ups or anything. I actually played today and I'm playing tomorrow. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel good. I think it's like a continuation of just continue to stretch and continue to strengthen the muscles and yeah, just fingers crossed, you know? my body's getting older and it's like, it's hard to admit. And it's hard, like hard to notice that day to day when I'm like, I'm not losing energy, but like my body's just like, Oh shoot, I slept wrong. I can tell, you know, welcome to the club, you know, yeah, Your back, yeah. back just yeah. always hurts. <laughs> yep. It, it's uh, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't get yeah. any easier, unfortunately. Um, all right. I, I have a question here because I don't, I don't know if you've seen this cause it sounds like you do a good job now kind of blocking out the social media and just kind of focusing on what you're doing, but I wanted to give you the opportunity. What is going, uh, what do you have to say to like your haters out there that are essentially are like, yeah, she won, but Kristen wasn't there. What, what do you have anything? Do you want to address the, the haters out there um, that maybe forgot that Kristen was in the field at the open in Austin, or is there anything that you have to say? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it doesn't, I mean, 
it felt like a dominant win. It really did. I, I felt in control. I, I knew it was my tournament. If I messed up, I could have given it away, but it felt like my tournament. Um, with Kristen being there, would that have changed? Um, I'm not sure. It's hard to predict if, you know, it's hard to predict. Um, but, you know, I know it would have felt better if Kristen again. And I am excited to, to, um, kind of like re revamp this, like Kristen versus Paige. I, I love that. Like Kristen and I are bet are good friends. And like, um, I think that we have skill sets that complement each other, but also like are, are different and it's cool to watch us compete. And so for the fans that are saying that, you know, cool. Uh, I think Kristen's a great player too. And I, I hope to beat her at the next one and, and to prove you wrong. Um, but if I don't, then, you know, she played a better game than me and that's what it is. So I think at the end of the day, it's, it's, uh, whoever comes out on top comes out on top and all the stories and narratives and the rhetoric are, are, are y'all's to, to discuss. But for me, all I'm, all I'm there to do is play the tournament and try to win it. So, um, We'll see. We'll see what happens at Portland. Is Kristen going to be at Portland? I don't know when her next event is actually, so I'm not entirely sure, but um, I know okay. me and Yuli, before you came on, me and Yuli are definitely saying that we were very excited to, cause I don't think it's happened really where it's like you and her recently last year, we got, we got to see a little bit, but this year we haven't really seen you and her go toe to toe together uh, at a tournament yet. So I think that's like what you kind of said. I think that's what a lot of fans are really excited to see uh, you two guys at the, at, at the best of your games, kind of going toe to toe down the wire. Um, all right. I got to yeah. ask what yeah, the heck. It's funny are, too. Cause oh. like, Oh, yeah. oh, go. No, sorry. Sorry. You're on a little, there's a little delay. So sorry, <laughs> sorry. about that. You, you're, you're good. Go ahead and say what you, okay. yeah. No, I was just going to say that like, besides the open at Austin, but we kind of just, briefly spoke on that. Like she wasn't at the best of her game. Like I could feel it there as just as a friend of hers and a competitor of hers that's played against her so many times. Like I could feel she wasn't like in, I don't know what it was, uh, but she wasn't just like in the killer mindset. Um, but you know, we did go toe to toe at Austin and she missed some putts that I didn't feel like were, you know, I think the commentators always say like, oh, that was uncharacteristic. And I, I felt that as well. Like, so, um, I hope that at Portland I'm on the top of my game and she's at the top of her game and we can give the fans a show and whichever way it goes, it's going to be exciting. And, uh, for all of us, for the fans, for Kristen and for me, you know, and whoever else is up in the mix. So, um, I think that's what we all want is to beat another player at their best. So yeah. Um, hopefully she's there and hopefully it goes like that. I got to know what the heck are you listening to when you're on the course with your AirPods? You got, you got some like Zen Zen meditation music going on. You got like the, <laughs> some Katy Perry, the hits. What, what, what are you, what are you listening to? <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, definitely not Zen. Um, but honestly, for me, it's like, I, I've been experimenting with it. Um, it's like, I I've had a lot of struggles keeping like the, the thoughts out. 
Um, I think my weakness over the last like two years has been my mind. Um, I'm, I'm getting better as a player. I'm developing more shots. I'm getting more consistent. Um, it's just, my mindset is like all over the place. Some, some whole, like even from hole to hole, um, definitely from tournament to tournament. Um, so like putting the head, uh, the earbud in and I just put it in one ear so I can still hear my card mates. I still hear the birds chirping. I hear the clapping or the, uh, Ooh, when you miss, you know, I, I still want to be involved in that aspect of the sport. I really genuinely love that part, but just if I need a little bit of, um, head, head space change, or I'm starting to have this like negative thought path. This is a song that's like pumping me up. So definitely nothing Zen. I'm not trying to like Zen out. I'm trying to just like kind of get pumped up and like more high tempo, um, like beats, even if I don't know it. So like lately I've been listening, I have a couple playlists. I actually have one on Discraft's, um, Spotify, Discraft playlist, page Pierce, something like that. Um, oh. But um, lately I've been listening to like Bonnaroo stuff because I'm going to be at that event. Um, it's kind of upbeat and that's going to just distract me kind of it for like not in a negative way. Like I'm still there, but instead of like, oh, do I got to miss that tree? Oh, left of that, you know, I'm just like, I already know what to do. I've been playing the sport my entire, just friggin' throw the disc and you know, I'm just like kind of jamming. Boom. There it goes. Uh, so it just distracts me just enough to get those thought in my head. So you bring up, you bring up a good I know point. I didn't really you... answer that question, but like, it's always different. No, you bring it, you bring up a good point though. And, and, and the fact that you're saying it kind of distracts you, right. And, and allows you to kind of remain focused. Do you think there will become a time where, cause right now, obviously anything in the rules you should be able to do. Do you think there comes a time though, where the disc mm -hmm. golf will say like, Hey, we're, you can't have air AirPods in, you can't be listening to music. Do you think that is going to eventually happen? Or do you think it's going to stay the way it is? Maybe, maybe uh, as of right now, it's not being discussed, but, um, it, it could eventually, and it wouldn't surprise me. Um, you don't see like tennis players or ball golfers or any, any other sport, really none, none that I can think of have headphones in. So it wouldn't surprise me at all, but as long as it's, uh, it's allowed, I'll probably continue to do so. Um, it's definitely been helping me. Um, and like I said, with just one in, I can still hear my, hear my card mates and, and discuss things and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I, I would think in that they're discussed as, um, new as this golf is, I think there's so many other rules that they're discussing before that. So who been Brody is so like, um, busy all the time he's gonna be on the course like podcasting while he's playing just pull it pulling double shifts or something i could <laughs> oh man I, that, that that actually might that actually might help me i don't know we'll have to maybe i have to try that out like doing business meetings while i'm in the middle of a round yeah um all right i gotta i gotta i gotta ask because obviously the the big story storyline that happened this past week was with natalie ryan leading up into the tournament you came out after your round. I don't know if it was round one or round two. 
and had a message that I think resonated with a lot of people. Essentially saying, let's spread kindness. Let's not spread hate. Let's, um, you know, try to keep this. You kind of mentioned saying like, this is not the disc golf that you had fallen in love with. Right. And um, I think right now, and I'm glad you're on the podcast because obviously me and Yuli can talk about it and we have, and we've said what we think and all that. But I think having someone actually in the division itself, the FPO division, if you want to talk on it, by I would love to hear your thoughts. If you don't, it is what it is. But the I don't know exactly what it was, but you had, I, I believe, 33 players in the FPO division sign um, this document basically advocating to have Natalie Ryan not play in the FPO. Your name was not amongst one of the 33. Do you, do you, do you have anything to comment on that? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, I definitely will not sign anything of the sort, uh, especially the, how it was written. I feel it was written very poorly. And I, I believe that did sign that have regrets signing that, you know, maybe they feel that she shouldn't be playing the FBO division, but they didn't really understand what they were signing or maybe they, um, felt like, Hey, if I don't sign this, the majority is against me, something like that. I know I'm not going to name any names tonight, but like I have spoken with a few players that have been saying things like, you know, if I do sign it or if I don't sign it, um, I feel like the other side will just foot fault me and call me on 30 seconds and it's going to turn into a petty thing. And so it, it, it just turned into something where, personally, I don't think my opinion matters. I don't think your opinion matters and not because you're a man, just it's like, who are we to make that decision? Like, I think that's the PDJ and that's the medical committee and that's, and that's the state of California or whoever it is. Like, that's not up to us. Um, so sure I can have an opinion, but why do I want to sign something saying someone can't do something? Um, it, it really like fear-based and like for me personally, like as a human being, not even as a competitor in disc golf, but just as a human being, I'm trying to remove like fear and hate from my life. And that translates into a, like, I don't want to have fear that this person has an advantage of me. So let's take them out of this division. Uh, I mean, I want to live my life fear, fear free. So I don't want to sign that. And even if I, I do believe that she has an advantage, I don't support like outcasting her or, or any other transgender person. Um, but like, to be honest with you guys, like, I don't know where I stand on the matter. And, and like, I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to figure out who I am and what I want to do and how I wear my hair and what I want to see and all of this. And I, like, how the hell am I supposed to know what I want of this? You know, I'm like the biggest struggle for me over the last two years has been 
that I have a platform and that I am uh, like someone that people look to for like uh, like guidance or advice or whatever inspiration Mm -hmm. and like i'm so figuring out myself i don't even know myself what i want a lot of the times like and so like if i say something i'm in the wrong if i don't say something i'm in the wrong and like i especially on a matter like this difficult or this like people so it's simple it's not simple this is the farthest thing from simple and like on a matter like this complex, I don't know where I stand. And so I'm not willing to sign on either end of it because I have not decided yet. And, and, uh, I, I don't think personally, my opinion matters much at all. So, um, but I do know that I feel like every person should be treated equally and everyone should, should be humanized, you know? And like, I can't even imagine what Natalie's gone through in her lifetime. I think she's handled a lot of things very poorly. Um, threats and all kinds of mean things she said. Um, but then when I'm reflecting on that, like I can understand why she, she has a lot of hate and fear in her heart because she's always been targeted, targeted, targeted. And like, she's had to put up this wall and this defense mechanism and it's, it's kind of made her this way, you know? And so like, I can understand, I don't respect it. I don't appreciate it. If I was like a really good friend of hers, I think that I would, I would try and be like, yo, I, understand where you're coming from, but you need to tone down the anger and the threats. Um, but yeah, it's just overall, it's just made a really tense like environment to be in. And like, we're all just trying to do our best and, and try to win tournaments and, and, you know, to have this whole matter kind of engulfing our, our division is, is just been a really interesting uh, to say the least interesting, uh, battle, I would say it's, yeah. hard, it's hard to wrap it up into a short no. little thing. Yeah, no. And, and it's, it's obviously a topic that's not going to go away because Natalie is still having a lawsuit with the disc golf pro tour. Um, and you kind of mentioned that, you know, who it's not our opinion, our opinion doesn't matter. Yuli's opinion doesn't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. It's really the disc golf pro tour and what they end up deciding and they've come out and decided that their gender eligibility has it to where Natalie can't play in the FPO division, but can play in the MPO division. Do you think, do you think Natalie then in that situation, because that's what the disc golf pro tour has decided. Do you think Natalie should not keep fighting to try to play in the FPO division and accept the fact that this is what it is. This is what the disc golf pro tour has decided. Um, I, I think that's dependent upon the human, like Natalie seems to be a fighter and she seems to be like, she wants to fight for the cause. Like it's more about having transgender 
athletes accepted than it is her to win. Um, so I think she will continue to fight. Um, with that being said though, like I'm pretty good friends with Chloe Alice, who is also transgender. And I've had discussions with her off the course, um, where I say like, Hey, Chloe, like, why don't you like try to form a transgender division and like fight for equal coverage, equal pay, equal everything that way, like just like MPO and FPO are trying to become equals, transgender can also be in that mix and have all those equal things, but have your own division. And, um, her thoughts on that were just like that she identifies as a female and as does Natalie and as do a lot of other transgender, uh, people, but doing so, uh, and playing the MPO or playing transgender division would, would kind of dilute the fact that they are females in their mind. But for me, and it's so hard because I'm not transgender, so I can't fully relate, but, um, like I see Natalie's posts and it's like hashtag, you know, uh, trans proud transgender or something like that. Well, in my mind, if you are proud transgender, you would want to fight for this division and, and be like, Hey, if you're transgender, come to disc golf, we have a whole division for you kind of thing. And I think, I think, you know, this is, what is it? May 17th. Like as of today, right now, I think my opinion is that in the future, I think there should be a transgender division. Um, and that might change. My opinion might change by tomorrow even. So, um, but I, I think that if that were to happen and the pro tour and the PJ could, could guarantee them equal rights and, um, coverage and, and pay, I don't know why you wouldn't want to do that, but again, see, I'm not in that position. See, yeah. I got to push back just a little bit there because the disc golf pro tour in this situation with FPO and MPO is a business, right? And so the way that the disc golf pro tour currently is running is they're running that they're running the MPO and the, the way that it looks like is they're running the MPO and FPO under one umbrella saying like this, um, this is our product. They're not saying we have two products. We have an MPO product over here and we have an FPO product over here. They're combining them as one product. Now, if they did the same thing with a transgender league and now you have an MPO product, an FPO product and a transgender league uh, product and you wanted to put them all under one umbrella and said, we have three things. The winner from each tournament is going to get $5,000 or whatever and move forward. The issue with that is as the sport kind of grows, there is going to be some sort of a feel of like inequality. I feel like between players of, Hey, we are bringing in this amount of fans or whatever it may be, but yet our purse or whatever is the same as this one over here. And there's already a mm -hmm. little bit of that between the MPO and FPO, but I view the MPO and FPO kind of similar to like a tennis tournament where they're both both are happening at the same time. It's not like the NBA and the WNBA where they're separate. You have tons of people that go out and watch you win. And then right after you win, I have an early tea time and they roll over to my card and they mm -hmm. watch me play. So it does feel like a little bit more of a product. I feel like when you separate into now a third product that might start getting a little bit dicey. Um, but a question I did want to ask you is, 
me and Yuli talked about this a little bit, and it's an interesting one. Divisions are simply created so that people can have a fair competitive competition. If, if we did not, if we had, if there was no, if there was no advantage being a male versus a female, there would not be an FPO division and an MPO vision. There would be one division and we would all be playing the tournaments together and there would be no separation. If there was no competitive advantage, Mm -hmm. there has been decided that, Hey, if we all played together, the FPO players would probably not have the same opportunities. There wouldn't be as many of them being able to play even in the tournament. So let's separate and have divisions. Same thing with like age divisions. I kind of mentioned this earlier um, or last week or whatever about, Mm -hmm. you know, let's protect as you get older, everyone kind of knows like your body doesn't work the same. So like there's a 50 and up and there's a 60 and up. Do you agree with that? Like, do you agree the way that we have divisions set up? is so that there, there is a competitive, um, a fairness, I guess you can say in the competitive aspect. And if you do agree with that, how does it make sense that someone can now move from a division that we have all deemed has a competitive edge and play in a division, um, that is trying to be protected from that? Yeah, I think that exactly that point right there, the, advantage or advantage has been the biggest, uh, debate starter in my mind. Um, it's, it's really funny that Emerson won this tournament because I've been using Emerson as my example, because I feel like Emerson is my closest counterpart in the MPO division as far as like size and everything. Um, so it's really funny. I do. I think I could have beat Emerson this weekend. Absolutely not. But when I'm standing side by side with him, like Emerson MPO wise is my closest counterpart. So I've been using him as an example for the last like six months to a year. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about the advantage and how I feel about that. Um, it's really tough because, you know, in track, generally speaking, black people run faster, but do we still let black people run track, you know? And if we didn't, we would be the worst. We would be the worst. We, we would still be, you know, back in gym clubs and stuff. So it's like, does advantage really dicking? It can't because then it would be like, Oh, you're taller than me. You're longer than me. You have more muscle mass than me. Um, you know, where do you draw the line on advantage? All, all we have right now is, is gender and age. Um, so then do you have to discuss like, um, your body fat percentage? Do you, you know, where do you draw the line? So that whole thing is really interesting for, for my brain to just ponder about. Um, I wish that I could just be in a fly on the wall in the room of the medical committee and just kind of hear where they're coming from, because I think there's so many factors to take into account. Um, but yeah, I I think, you know, I, I did propose this as like a friendly conversation. I mean, multiple times a friendly. And at one point somebody said, well, you know, if you don't think advantage matters, then why don't you just play MPO? And mm-hmm. that kind of stopped me in my tracks. And, and I was like, well, you know, you make a damn good point. You know, I, 
you make a good point. I, I can't really I argue with that and nor nor am I going to try, but it, it it's a really interesting debate because there are so many different things that can give you an advantage and we are fixated currently on this one thing. So two points yeah, on that. I, oh, really, I, real quick, real quick and then I want you to jump in, but just yeah. to, just two points I I want to make. The first one being I do think there probably would be a lot of MPO players out there that would be a hundred percent. Okay. With combining, but like right now, the, the way that purses are set up, combining both purses into one purse and we play one tournament and everyone plays together. Mm-hmm. The issue with that is I think there would also be a lot, just as many MPO players that would love that. I think there would be a lot of FPO players that probably wouldn't be able to be doing what they're doing currently. And I, I don't think that is a crazy thing to say. The other thing is if you are not over six feet tall, the chances of you playing in the NBA are very slim. And to kind of, to your point, we don't look at um, NBA players and say like, Oh, you're six foot eight. That's an advantage over the six foot player. And I even, we talked about this a little bit, me, Aaron and, uh, and Ezra about like, would it be fascinating if you had like an under six foot tall uh, NBA, like you had two divisions, you had over six feet tall and then under six feet tall, because I could see like under six feet tall NBA could be a fascinating watch, but it also could be one of those things of where it's like, well, yeah, all these guys are good at basketball, but there's guys that are taller than them that are doing things way better. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it might be tough to have two of the same products where one is doing something way better and the other's not. Um, but yeah, I guess that would be like the crux of the argument is like, if there isn't an advantage, let's just throw all the purses together and let's all play as one tournament. But how do you, oh. yeah, you for you first. I was going to say, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've heard where I stand on the matter is I, I've always said that I'm a rules guy. Right. And I got pushed back on this, like, Oh, that's because you're skating around whatever you feel or don't feel, but I'm going to stand by, by by what I say is I'm, I'm with you. It's not up to me to make these rules. I am not in a position to do that. We need to have rules in place so that we create a fair playing field in every division period. I don't make those rules. Maybe someday I will. Maybe someday I'll be in a position to where I can, I can be the guy who's just like, Nope. Yes. No, I'm not. So that doesn't even really apply to me. I also said that I'm pro athlete and I got pushed back from that because they're like, well, you can't have be a pro app, blah, 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 blah. I say you're I'm pro athlete. And then I say, I don't want Natalie to quit disc golf. Are you kidding me? That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying do your best to play. Me as Paul Uliberry, the way that I am, I have a mindset of, I have my mindset, and that is I don't care who I'm playing against, bring them on, and I'm going to beat that person. That's who, that's, that's what I grew up doing. I don't care what it is. It could be some alien that comes down and wants to play disc golf. Send me out there. Let's battle, right? That's my mindset. So when I say that, when I say I'm pro athlete is there's no give up in my mind. I don't want anybody else to have a give up in their mind. And it's not up to me to make the rules, but I do know 
that there is a division that everybody can play. And it's the one that I play in. And that's because of the mindset that we have. Yeah. And I know it's the mindset that you have too, Paige, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's just, it's just, it's uh, like kind of almost like a never ending debate is like, yeah. what is advantage? You know, in, in boxing, it's obvious. It's weight. It's yeah, and, weight. Yeah. And, no question about it. And muscle mass. But in disc golf, we don't know that answer. Emerson just beat out everyone and he's the smallest guy in the division. So it's like, does Emerson, Natalie have an advantage? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes. And I... Sorry, I I just this might seem silly to a lot of people listening, <laughs> but I just became aware that <laughs> this is so I feel so embarrassed saying this out loud. Um, like <laughs> as a transgender a male to female, um, she is not experiencing any periods or yes. menstruation cycles and yeah that that's, is like whoa holy shit yes that is an advantage yeah wow i didn't even think about that but and and i feel that but that's one week out of the month you know like we and we talk about it as a division like oh shoot you're in a period good luck you know whatever. and you know her never having that so if she plays a tournament every single week of the month her never having that week off. Okay. That's definitely an advantage. Um, but there's other things where it's like, she has a disadvantage because I've known my body since I hit puberty and I've, I've known how my body works. She doesn't, she's using a pill and, and, and whatever. I, I don't know exact science of all of it, but she's having to relearn her body and all of this. So some of that is a disadvantage. Anyway, what I'm, my point is like, it's so nuanced of like all of certain things. And like, how can we come to a decision of like what is right and what is wrong? It's just, it's so hard. But like Paul, like you said, like, I don't think we should have her stop playing disc golf. Like she's obviously very skilled disc golfer what division she should go into that's kind of the debate but like i don't want to see come to the point where people are so mean to her and so shunning her yeah. that she now maybe quits disc golf or maybe decides to like do something way more drastic and now what kind of guilt are you going to feel after that you know it's like th these are these are real human beings that we're talking to and yeah. we need to understand that like it's not something where you can just be a keyboard warrior and it's it's a very tricky situation it's it's i don't envy the people that are making these decisions I definitely wish people would handle it differently. Obviously, like I'm, I'm happy that we can have this conversation. Hopefully this will, uh, you know, maybe be a guide, I guess, to, to where people that might not see eye to eye on every single small thing that is, you know, cause there are so many small things that add up to this big topic we are talking mm -hmm. about that we can still have a conversation without having to say mean and hateful things to one another. Um, totally. I think that, I think that is the problem is, you know, the conversation, if you disagree with someone that Natalie should be playing in an FPO, 
it just gets so hateful right away that there is no dialogue. There is no conversation. It is just attacks back and forth to, um, to go back to something that you did say, because this is something I did think about. I think when it comes to weight and like height, I guess you can say plays into weight, the taller you are, the more you're going to weigh most of the time. Those divisions exist in like hand to hand combat sports, sports Mm -hmm. where you can legitimately kill the other person. Right. Mm -hmm. So boxing, wrestling, MMA, those type of sports. Now, obviously there is an advantage in football to be bigger, you know, but that is not the sole advantage. Someone that is 250 pounds or 300 pounds and knows how to fight versus someone that's 130 pounds and knows how to fight. The bigger guy is probably going to win nine out of 10 times, maybe 10 out of 10 times. And then also could potentially do serious damage. So that's where, when you're like trying to say, like, we're trying to figure out like, well, what do we do with these divisions and stuff? Disc golf. There is none of that. There is no, someone being too tall is going to hurt someone or someone being too big is going to hurt someone. So the only there are going to be some people that have advantages. Calvin has an advantage over other people, but Emerson probably has advantages elsewhere over other people. And he can kind of make up for the, uh, make up for that gap in his height with some other things that he can do. And Mm -hmm. I think the issue is there are some serious advantages that again, it feels like it, it it feels like we've kind of gone backwards in time a little bit here of where we have all decided at some point at one point in time everyone decided we need two divisions we need a male division and a female division and it seemed like everyone was in agreement on like yes that makes a lot of sense and it seems like we've kind of gone backwards to where now people are being like well no like people in the FPO division can can compete in the MPO division and it's like but you've never seen it when, when's the last time you've seen it? Only at USDGC when you, that's the, that was the only division, you know, you don't Question, see. Paige. Yeah. If, if you dedicated your life right now, like right now you have a serious advantage as far as your mind and the way that disc golf is and the shots that you've seen and the way that it plays out all the way to, and this is a serious, serious question. Do you think if you dedicated your life because you know what it takes to be a world champion and you said, okay, no, my calling is I want to play in the MPO and I want to see how good I can get. How good do you think you could get? Like, what does your mind tell you? That's what I'm curious about. Do you think Paige Pierce, you could be a top 10 player? Do you think you could be the number one player? Like, where does your mind take you as far as, as that goes? And this is a serious question because of the accolades that you have already, you already know what it takes to, to get there essentially. Yeah. Um, that's tough. I mean, you can't predict the future, you know, you can't, you can try to dream something, but it's hard to know if that's reality. And I have pondered that a lot, you know, um, I I've thought about playing some MPO tournaments, but then it's like, you can't play MPO and FPO. So you're sacrificing that FPO. Um, what does your you know? dream say? What is, what is that? Like, as far as your mind can take you, courses, that's what I want to know. Yeah. Some courses are similar enough to where you can kind of see like, okay, where like European open, same as that course. Um, so there are some courses where you can kind of be like, Oh, this is where I finished. This is where I yeah. would kind of finish. Um, 
And then, I mean, I hate yeah. the PDG, I hate the PDJ rating system, so I don't look at that. Obviously, you're going to have some people be like, "Well, look at your rating compared to the people that are playing in MPO." But yeah, I'm cu- yeah, that's a good question, Yuli. Like, where where do you think your skill set, your ceiling would be? I'm saying, like, I, mean, I think you, I could I could definitely be a top forty player. Um, I think top forty is is definitely feasible. I think it could be a top twenty if. You know, I think a, a female would actually have a little bit of an advantage playing against the MPO because you take one birdie over them, you get one farther drive, and their ego starts going like, oh, shoot, you know, whatever. You take the box, you keep the box in the next two holes. Like, there you go. You're, you that's your IQ. Them. That's your disc. That's your disc golf IQ already taking you up notches. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So I, I think that part of it, the female would have the advantage, but she would still have a lot to overcome. Um, that, like Brody, you just said, like there's certain courses where, you know, I I've thought when I just mentioned that I've thought about playing some MPO tournaments, it, it mm-hmm. was strictly like course based. So like, okay, Oh, I know I can fare well at this course. Like yeah. it would be cool. It would be really cool to do that and, and to just cash or whatever. And, um, you know, I've, I, I have had some tournaments where I would have cashed an MPO Beaver state fling and Memorial and maybe a couple others, Um, but yeah, to, to think about doing that for a full year and seeing like what, what, uh, ranking I would get or something. I, I feel like around, I don't know, like what is the tour card, the top 75, I feel like I could get a tour card for sure. Um, yeah, it's eight. I think it's 80 people. Yeah, 80 80, people. I I feel like I could, I could earn myself a tour card, but I think it would take a lot of work and it would take, you know, it's, it's also the pressure. You know, when you know, I mean, the mindset is like, (laughs) I would say 80% of disc golf is, is the mindset. So it's like keeping yourself in a good headspace and, and not feeling like you're at a disadvantage and going into the tournament as an equal, you know, in your mind. So I think that that would be the hardest part, but yeah, it's a, it's a good question and something I have been pondering for a while. So I'll um, say this. I would love it if somebody would just do it and just yeah. you know put the put yeah. the, put it to the test. I'll say this: if you are playing on do it, do it sooner than later because <laughs> it ain't gonna get easier. You got no, you know, I doubt it. You got Eagle, who is one of the best players in the world, missed cash last week uh, for the first time since I believe 2017. Um, you've got people that are literally getting top tens. I'm in two. Yeah, top. Simon won the tournament last week, didn't cash this year. Um, or sorry, won the tournament last year, didn't cash this yeah. week. Um, so like you're seeing now players that are good enough to be the beat the best players in the world fall far down the leaderboards because we kind of talked about this with Simon. The difference between now, like two strokes, three strokes is literally top 20 and not cashing. And so you start, you know, throwing a couple bogeys out there and all of a sudden you just start plummeting down the leaderboard. Totally. Um, Totally. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we see that. Cause I think, I think a lot of people, you know, that's one of those things where people will love, 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 like to talk about that leading up. If like, that was, if you were like, Hey, uh, DDO I'm playing in MPO this week. Yeah. The amount of chatter and conversation that would happen from that leading up to it would be insane. It would be nuts. Yeah, But that's also the part that like 
can be such like people are talking about, Oh, returning champ or, Oh, number one ranked. Or like, is that pressure? Yep. It's like, that is pressure right there. Like mm-hmm. you are trying to make history right there. And also too, I'm not saying like, it would be easy by any means when I'm just like, Oh yeah, I think I could get a tour card. Like I understand that totally that p- yep. players aren't cashing, you know, and that it's getting insane. But I also think that, those players, the Simons, the Eagles, the, those players are experiencing that pressure. And, you know, it's, it's, it really is a lot about a mindset, you know, and, and what they're feeling going into the event of Eagles, not getting worse, Simon, not getting worse. He's going through something, you know, and it could change next week. It's you guys know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It just did with Emerson. Emerson was like a hundred, uh, miscast, miscast, 31st win. Yeah. Can flip like that. Yeah. yeah. If, if you're, uh, if you're Silas Schultz or Robert Burridge or John Willis, Zachariah Johnson, watch out. Page is coming. Those oh are the, my gosh. Those were the people that were on the, uh, like the last in from from last year on the card tour card. Paul Uliberry was on there too. I think you're, <laughs> I think you're further up than that. Yules. <laughs> Give yourself right, a little credit. Page, you come into the MPO division. I'm taking you down, girl. <laughs> you know what? Actually, though, you know what I've been saying, though, a lot about the difference between FPO and MPO is like that when an MPO steps up to a shot, they're not thinking, like, generally speaking, of course, they're not thinking about what could go wrong. They're just like, oh, I'm going to show these other three dudes on my card. I got their number and boom, they just throw the shot. Whereas an FPO is like not thinking about their card mates and outdoing them. They're thinking about, Oh, what if, what if I hit that and roll away? And like, oh, no, hear the commentators that's what I think. all the time. I think a lot of, oh, a lot of all I think, I think a lot of, MPO guys, think. I think a lot of, I think that's just sports. I think a lot, especially no. in a sport that's not reactionary. That's the thing is, Disc golf's not reactionary. You have all the time in the world. I mean, we just had Emerson on and he was talking about like all the bad things that could happen to him going down the stretch. So I think, I think that, I think everyone has that. I think the difference between the greats and the not greats are the people that are able to have that come in and be like, whoop, and push it away. Cause those thoughts come into everyone's heads. I feel like. No, I think, I think what we're saying Paige, is is, Listen, I, I don't think about the people on my card. I don't have time to think about that. I'm never like, oh, I'm going to out throw. Like, think about the people that I'm playing against, first of all. Like, oh, I'm going to out throw Simon on this hill. Yeah, right. Like, I <laughs> I don't have time for that. I'm focused on my stuff. And when I'm playing my best, you know, that's where my comfort is, is, is none of us are thinking about any of that stuff. I totally hear what you're saying. But there's so many. The battle of golf, period, is chasing away the negativity chasing yeah. away that negative, the negative thoughts that do creep in and to keep yourself focused and saying, I got this, not worrying about that other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel like the basket is big. We're lucky as disc golfers, like the basket is big compared <laughs> to our disc. And yeah. if you're worrying about hitting, the, just hit the chains. If you hit the chains, yeah. it's not going to airball into the water. Like it, it just tickle one chain and it'll be fine. Like comes from the person the who's won all those world titles. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's like yes you can hit the cage and roll down but just get it up over the cage like i i think when i have the doubts i i remind myself that oh just all you gotta do is hit the chains like just don't hit the band or the cage you're just hit the chains there's yeah. a lot of them yeah. but yeah it's a it's a crazy it's a crazy game we play it really is and I appreciate you too, obviously coming on here. Um, I know you mentioned like my opinion shouldn't matter. And, uh, but I do think you are a big voice in the FPO division, whether you want to be or not, you are, I know a lot of people pay attention to what you have to say. And um, I think that puts you obviously in, a, in more pressure than maybe some other players in the FPO division. And I do appreciate you coming on and, and voicing your opinion and, and having this talk. Cause it is, it is very tough. And, and I don't know if this will maybe open the door for some other FPO players to come on and, and kind of talk about it because ultimately it affects you guys more than anyone else, right? You guys are the ones playing in the division itself. And so I feel like your voices, your opinions should matter a little bit more, not saying that other people shouldn't have an opinion or they, their opinions shouldn't matter. But um, I do appreciate it, you coming on and having that conversation. It's not that easy though, honestly. No, like, it's not. It's, it's such a tough, it's such a tough topic to talk about. You can say, you say, you go off tangent, you say one word, out of context that you're not trying to say and it's cancel culture. That's what we live in. Like we can mm -hmm. skirt around it as much as we want, but as soon as you say something bad, like you're done. And that's you a scary only matter thing. Of time for me and you brother, we go live every <laughs> week for two to three hours. It's bound to happen <laughs> yeah. at some point. Right. No, it is. It really is. And that's, and so it's, it's what I'm saying is it's not that easy. I totally get it. I totally get why nobody wants to talk about it. And that's all I'm going to say. So I don't say anything. <laughs> I thought you, I thought you froze for a second. And I, was like, no, he's not. I did. Oh man. All right. Well that, I think that that covers pretty much everything. Um, a dominant performance at OTB open going back to back on a challenging course. Uh, Portland open is going to be interesting. There's going to be two courses coming up. Uh, instead of the one that we played last year. So I'm excited to kind of see the new layouts and how that obviously plays out for the FPO division as well. But it seems like this, I will say we, we talked about it earlier. The, the momentum that's happening right now with you versus Kristen, I like it as a, as a fan and like watching FPO it's something that makes me want to tune in. And I think that's a good thing. That's great. And, and there's going to be more chatter. And I think those things are all awesome. Um, before we let you go though, any new pet peeves, pet anything, peeves. any, anything, anything new, um, that, that, oh, uh, yeah. the pet peeves things. Uh, no, but you know what? It's funny. Like someone did bring it up to me like, oh, I know this is your pet peeve. I listened to the. Oh, gosh. Know. And they still <laughs> did it? <laughs> <laughs> it was funny, though. It was like, it was cool. But um, no, I don't know. I feel like uh, I, I think I gave you a few of them. And I feel like that's pretty much it. But I, I, I uh, yeah. I can ask you a you different guys. question. I can ask yeah, you a different sure. question real quick. I asked Sexton this. It's. A, I think it's a pretty. Is it what disc is in your bag right now that you're jumping into a lake to get it back? <laughs> uh well i just did that at OTB open and it was my test flight pierce it was my like go-to putter but i also don't switch out putters like 
I know some players like Macbeth, actually, he just like switches out putters. Um, mm-hmm. I don't do that. I keep my putters in my bag for the full year. Um, but I mean, definitely my crystal fierce. If I'm, if I throw that in, I'm getting in the water. Like I'll probably miss the next hole to get that disc out of the water. Um, I've had it in my bag. It was the first fierce I got when we made the fierce and it's still in my bag. That same one, it just flies so nice, like a soft little fade. Um, love it. Yeah. What's it on? Uh, Jules, do you want to see if there's like any new, is there like a new player that she's <laughs> likes yeah, the you game? Got any, you got any new, uh, players that you're like, I, I need some of that. That's a nice shot right there. Um, I think Colin Hanley is, is hands down like the next, the next best player, the next, you know? person like up. The next like the next dominant player. I feel like, I, I feel like there's so many players that can win a tournament right now, but I feel like the next time we see like a dominant force, it's going to be Colin Hanley as she has every single shot. She's got like a hundred sidearm back can roller she's making putts like not even jump putting from 60 feet like you you know we're we're all jumping from there and she's just like easing it in there from 60 feet um i think she's got the all-around game and like if you i don't know stat mando or you know whatever the stats are um but She's getting more birdies than almost anyone. She's just getting a lot more bogeys. So, um, you know, when she cleans up those bogeys and kind of, I don't know why she's getting them. If it's decision-making, if it's, uh, you know, just poor execution or what, but like when she eliminates those bogeys, she's getting way more birdies than everyone else. So I think like she's, she's due for quite a few wins, not just like one, one win. She's, she's due for quite a few. So I feel like she's, one to watch she's for, right there. for sure. Yeah, she's right there. All right, well, there you have it. Back-to-back OTB champion. Got two wins under her belt already this season. Paige Pierce, thanks so much always joining Tour Life with us. We appreciate it and look forward to having you back on at some point. Who knows? It might be, Lily might be after Portland Open. We'll see. <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys so much. All right, thank you, Paige. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Paige Pierce, there you have it. Uh, great interview, Yuli. We, I feel like yeah. we got some, we got... We got a little bit, uh, a little deeper there, which I I'm always for like yeah. having people be able to be open. I will say it was interesting though. I don't know if you caught it, but when she was talking about Holland Hanley, she, she did mention Holland putting from like 60 feet standstill and not jumping. And she says, you don't see that often in the FPO division. So again, that I, I think there are, there are divisions for a reason. And I feel like everyone has decided that, I don't know. I feels like everyone decided like we don't need divisions anymore, but we do need, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing, but I just caught that of where it's like, well, you know, if there, if there is no difference in every, that, that shouldn't be a weird thing, but all right, we'll, we'll finish it. Uh, that conversation on that one. But uh, I do have a few things to run through Yuli and then we'll get out of here. Cause this is a freaking long episode, but we had to cover a lot of stuff. So we're going to jump back into it real quick. James Proctor, did you see his his rob of an ace? Yeah, on brutal. Twelve, so good. Gosh, that's Just, the worst one I've seen in a long time. 
how the heck did that not stick? What the heck? Inch above, inch above the rim, money right on the stripe. I mean, that was good stuff. Oh, um, there was a Lone Star post that was kind of taken out of context a little bit. They made their like initial post on Facebook congratulating Emerson. And then I think the president wanted to like do the, like his own personal one. So people kind of took it out of context. It's here. It says, congratulations to a great guy on his win at the OTB open presented by MVP disc sports. I'm proud to have you on the team. Um, I think people that saw this thought this was like Lone Star's post to congratulate Yuli. And they were kind of making the memes. Like this is like the copy and paste email that you get. I think it was just like, you know, it was just taken out. He wanted to make it like an additional personal post yeah. to Emerson um, after the fact. Uh, so I thought that was, I thought that was a little funny. Um, trophy presentation. When, when are we going to k- get this figured out? I, I'm not a fan of doing the whole presentation, everything right as the putt finishes. I, I wish there was a more buildup. The tournament's not over at that point. Like you still have to finalize your scorecard. So I don't know why they do that. I don't know where that came from. And I don't like it. I think that the, the player, especially nowadays, it's getting a little bit more, I guess sometimes personal to where like, like he had his family on the phone and then he had to be like, Oh, sorry. Gotta go. Cause I got to do these other things. Like, like all that stuff needs to wait. Not the family part, obviously that's his moment. That's like his thing. Finalize the scorecard award ceremony, celebrate him speech done. Thoughts on this. There was a little bit of a walk from hole one or from hole 18 to hole one. Hole one is this built up stage with a fairway in front of it. You go over to the scorer's tent, you sign your score, and then you're now walking from hole 18 to hole one. You've got all the fans lined up. You're high-fiving everyone. You're hugging friends and family that you see. Then you go up onto hole one, the big stage that they made for the tee shot, and now the presentation's there with the whole crowd and everything. You get the interview in front of everyone. I think that's, I don't know. I would love to see a little bit more of a, like, a breath in between the last putt and the trophy presentation. And maybe you're right. Yeah, I think it has, I think it has to do with like the live too, like the live, they want to get it done so that they can do their little thing on, on, you know, but yeah. I, I think there needs to be a break. There needs to be award ceremony. You watch the award ceremony. Then it's not like Brian does a really good job of getting there and, and giving a good interview. He does, mm-hmm. but I think it's a little weird that you're just like tap in. Yay. Everybody taps in. And then it's like, how do you feel? Yeah, but like, well, like, I feel like there doesn't, even, there doesn't even need to be commentary though, right? Like literally as he has, as Emerson taps out and is going to, like, let's say the score, let's say the score, the scoring wasn't right next to hole 18. Let's say the scoring was like where we were putting, right? So it's like a yeah. two minute walk. I don't even think there needs to be commentary. Just have the camera on Emerson. I want to see who's he hugging. Who's he high-fiving. I want to see all that celebration as he's walking. I think that's all fascinating. You don't even have to try to figure out like, oh, uh, here's Emerson hugging. uh, Who is that? Is that his caddy? Oh, is that his uh, financial? Like you can just let people. Yeah. I think he should do like what you're saying. I think he should do his speech. And then I think he should go to the press. 
and then get, and then give the people what they want as far as uh post round. Okay, what were you like thinking that. going in? And then answer the questions. You know, what I mean, I think there's it's just different, yeah, different stages that need to happen. Uh, is Ricky back? Did you see this tweet? Yes, he, yes. He, he so tweeted, I, "Portland bound. I'm excited to get back doing what I do." Airplane emoji. Is he back? He is. So he did a lot of treatment. He was actually staying with me, um, in Charlotte and he was doing treatment and stuff on his arm. And I talked to him yesterday. He said, uh, I'm feeling pretty good. Like the stuff that I'm doing is working. I'm feeling really good. I'll be in Portland for the Beaver state fling. And he plans on doing whatever after that. I can't speak for him, but I do know that right now, as of me talking to him two days ago, he feels good enough to come here, play Portland. Wow. That, I mean, if, if he gets back into the form that he was in last year, that's just another person added to the list of another dude that can go out there and win. So yeah. it, it will be definitely be a story that I'm sure a lot of us will be tuning into this week and watching. Um, we didn't really get a chance too much to talk about the Beaver State fling, but that goes down this week, Friday through Sunday on the Disc Golf Network. They combined the two courses that were last year to this year. To me, I think it's a much better layout. They got rid of a lot of the short kind of dinky holes, added a couple beefy par fours. I think it's going to be a great tournament. I think people are going to enjoy watching it. It's like in, I don't know if it's, a, is it a state park, Yuli? Are we in Milo? Is that a state park? I think it is. Okay. Um, incredible views. It's going to be awesome. Tall trees, luscious grass. Going to be Beautiful. great. Can't wait to play. It's a lot of times. It's a lot of players favorite tournament to play. in. so um, yeah. looking forward to that. Uh, other than that, Yuli, you got anything else that we, I think we nailed everything. This was a long one. So I appreciate everyone sticking around with us. I got it. That's a wrap then. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks we gotta so much. We got to do our picks, dude. Oh my gosh, our picks. Yuli, what are we doing? I'm about to like sign us off. We don't even have picks. Oh, I no. maybe it's because I got absolutely smoked last week. Yuli comes up huge. First time, I believe, this season that all three people got you points. You got a fir- uh, one point for Heinberg six. You got three points for Go- Gooseman's third. You got one point for Proctor six and I came up with the big Easter egg. So all of a sudden the gap now has shortened. You now have 29. I have big win. 32. Big one on the weekend, dude. And listen to this. This is hilarious. Cause they might be listening, but in the comments, somebody said you had brought it up. Somebody's like, I'll bet you a hundred dollars that Proctor doesn't get uh, um top 10. And I said, bet. No. He messaged. He messaged me. He's like, "I'm a man of my word." Where do I send it? I said, "No, I don't want your money. Go buy some cool Captain Raptors or something." But shout out to that guy for holding his end of the bargain because I completely forgot about it. But it was a funny message to get. <laughs> oh, that is awesome! That is awesome. Yeah. Um, who who's picking first here? You. Oh wait, we did a numbers thing. Yeah, we did a weird numbers thing. Is it, do we just ask Silas to pick a number one through 10? I think is what we did last time. We'll do it yeah. again. All right, Silas, number one through 10. I'm going to go first. Give me three. I'll take three. Yuli? Seven. All right. It was eight. Yuli, you want first pick or do you want the two, three? I want first pick. Okay. 
Okay, so we got Goss, Antela, Sex, and Lazat off the table. Yep. I have Calvin, Goss, Proc off the table. Yep. I'm going to go with... I got to go with Gannon. How do I not go with Gannon, <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be the Good same thing. guys every week. It's gonna be like no, Gannon, no, no, no. Calvin. I, I'm going a little dark horse. I'm going a little dark horse, kind of dark horse, not that much dark horse. Give me Isaac Robinson. Oh, it's not dark horse at all. That was gonna be my next pick. So give me defending champ Garrett Gerson. Garrett. Okay. Now I get two. You get two. Give me Eagle. Okay. I saw him on the course today. He was looking good. And give me, this might surprise you. Give me Paul Uliberry. Let's go, baby. Let's, he's feeling himself. All right, you know what? Give me myself. Let's go. The Yuli Brody battle. I love it. I'll take myself. In I was that feeling great spot. in practice. I'm playing good. If the shoulder finally feels good. Last week was learning a lot of stuff, and I feel like I, I broke through something in practice this week, and I, I just feel really good. So I got to pick myself. I always have picked myself when I felt like it was time in the past and I, that feeling is screaming at me right now so i'm picking myself i love it you uh ezra taught me a jump putt this week which is not super dialed in just yet I'm, i gotta spend a little oh. bit more time with it but it definitely is a lot more consistent and like i have actually a chance to make like 70 footers now and 60 footers than i did before wow. so okay we will see we will see those are our picks this week let us know if you think they were stupid dumb good bad we like to see it all. As always, we appreciate you guys always tuning in to Tour Life. Uh, Silas, thanks again for everything you do behind the scene. Thank you to all of our guests, Paige Pierce, Emerson Keith, Nate Sexton. What a show. We'll see you guys next week. Deuces. <laughs>